All right, let's go ahead and call the meeting to order. Thank you for joining us tonight, March 22nd, City of Alameda Transportation Commission meeting uh, back in person at City Hall. And so just as a reminder, we'll be welcoming public comment using the slips as well as being able to raise your hand so we can uh, retain that ability to have some uh, hybrid functionalities for public comment. Uh, we're gonna start off with item one, roll call. Commissioner Johnson. Aye. Commissioner Colstrand. Here. Commissioner Noctegall is absent today. Chair Souls. Aye. Vice Chair Uem. Here. Commissioner Suthamfira. Here. And Commissioner Whitesey. Here. Wonderful, welcome everybody. Number two, agenda changes. Do I have any agenda changes? Seeing none, we'll go ahead and close agenda item two and move on to staff three. I'll be turning it over to staff for communications. Good evening, I'm Lisa Foster, Senior Transportation Coordinator with the City of Alameda. And I will start with um, the City Council actions related to items reviewed by the Transportation Commission. So we're gonna start with Gail Payne to speak about the Clement Tilden project update. Good evening, Chair Souls and Transportation Commissioners here in person. Yay. Y'all look so great. <laughs> so last night, almost midnight, uh, the City Council endorsed the design concept for Clement Tilden and also authorized the Kittleson consultant amendment for them to do the design. And so that's what we're focusing on today. And we did incorporate your comments, the, the conduit um, for the future proofing and uh, additional raised crosswalk for the Cross Alameda Trail and um, I'm, I'm forgetting, blanking on a couple other things, but we did make some minor tweaks based on the input we received and, and, and that's what they approved. So they didn't have any other changes. And I'll just, if it's fine with you, I'll just pass uh, at your convenience if you wanna look at what they approved that that's what, that's it. Thank you for your time. Great, thanks Gail. Thank Chair you. Post. The city council was also slated to review and consider accepting the annual report and uh, work plan for transportation and for Vision Zero last night, but they continued the item. They're gonna hear that on April 4th. Um, and just a reminder that the annual report has now been professionally um, laid out by a graphic designer and packaged up with the housing general plan report and the CARP report, and it looks really nice and I uh, recommend checking it out. Um, we have some great public events coming up with the Traffic Safety Open House on April 3rd. The Alameda Bike Festival will be on April 29th. Um, Safe Routes to School is having its Bike to the Moon Week, May 9th to the 13th. Uh, Bike to Work Day will be May 18th. Um, Mastic Senior Center continues to have uh, Transportation 101 events. We have Transit App Training on April 11th. Ask the Expert on May 9th. Um, the expert will be me and another transit app training on June 13th. And then they also do hop on the bus with, for um, seniors and they have one on March 21st and May 16th. And the um, item in the agenda has links for all of those. In terms of construction updates, the East Bay mud project on Buena Vista Avenue is continuing. I believe it's expected to continue through April. Um, and then their Oakland Inner Harbor Pipeline Crossing project has uh, begun. 
um, with a temporary laydown area of, of this pipeline. And then in mid-April, they're starting open trench work on various streets, got Sherman and Lincoln, portions of Sherman, et cetera. Um, but traffic should remain open and construction should be complete late this year or early next. The um, Caltrans project on Ensenal is continuing. Resurfacing is still expected in the summer or maybe early fall. And we continue to have some parking meters that are out for screen repair. And that concludes my stuff, communications. Great, thank you so much, Lisa. All right, we'll move on to agenda item four, announcements and public comment. Again, you can raise your hand virtually or you can fill out a piece of paper to speak at this time on non-agendized items. Do we have any comments? Um, um... Chair, it looks like we have one online attendee who would like to speak. Okay, let's give it a go. Good evening, Jim Strelo. I wanted to thank the uh, crews hired or employed by the Planning Board Transportation Department uh, who cleared away most of the littered branches off of the sides of most of the major roadways this morning. After the major storm, I was expecting to find much more uh, impassable areas and it, it was uh, quite decent, at least on the east end uh, and uh, noticed a lot of branches down in Lincoln Park, but uh, I just wanted to thank that uh, most of the roadways were clear. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for that comment. Any others? That's it. All right, and are there any announcements from any of my fellow commissioners? Commissioner Colstrand. Thank you, uh, Chair Souls. I wanted to ask, uh, in, in reviewing the minutes from December 7th, um, I uh, found the statement uh, that I had asked that when the Lincoln Project came back to um, the Transportation Commission in February, that the staff would also bring information on the estuary crossing study and how it related to traffic congestion for the island overall, and that did not happen. So I, I have talked to um, Andrew Thomas about this, and I don't know if you can tell me this evening whether you have a date plan to do that, but I um, would hope if not tonight, then by our next meeting, we would have a definitive date for that. Thank you. Thank you. Any other announcements before we move on to consent? Uh, Chair Souls. Yes, Commissioner Susan Thera, please go ahead. Okay. Thank you. Um, I just want to um, thank or appreciate the staff uh, from the city that was out on the road yesterday clearing it up uh, when we were all trying to get home, but you know, inside the cars, but they were out there. So I uh, want to compliment and then appreciate their efforts. And if there is any way that we can tell or communicate, if there is any channel, um, I'll be happy to write a note, so. All right, thank you. Thank you. Any other announcements? All right, seeing none, we are going to move on to agenda item five, the consent calendar. 5A is the approval of the meeting minutes from December 7th um, of last year. I will take any comments or amendments on the content of the minutes or entertain a motion to approve. Move approval. Commissioner Whitey. 
So I had, I had actually submitted a comment. Basically, my understanding is that the staff is not going to take notes essentially on what commissioners say. So I had actually submitted a note that I wanted my comment included, and I just I mostly bring it up because I'd like to know how to handle that. Is that was that the correct way to do it? Is that how we want to do it? If we want our specific comments noted in the record. I, I don't know if we'll have this discussion during the bylaws agenda item as well, but the um, yes, the the commissioners uh, according in the as a, according to the staff report, <clears throat> excuse me, the commissioners can enter a statement at, from directly to staff. I believe that could publish that statement as part of the amended minutes if they've already come before for us for approval or ahead of approval. I would assume my. My read on the bylaws is that the commission does need to approve that statement to go into the minutes. Okay. Um, and the most systematic way to do that would be to bring that statement to the next meeting, put it on consent. Um, but I would think he'd be able to read that statement here. Okay. And then you guys part of approval? approve that with the minutes. That's fine. If you'd like to read have your it statement. booted up right here. Commissioner <laughs> Please go ahead. I just wanted to add the note because uh, Inevitably, this is not going to be done, and I want it in the record so we can go back and check it when it's not done. In the discussion, so my comment was in the discussion of the line 78 bus, Commissioner Whitesey questioned why the 78 line had not made better attempts to publicize that a ride on the 78 bus was free with the purchase of a ferry ride. He, I, suggested signage in the Seaplane Lagoon ferry parking lot and that the line 78 buses should include something like bus free with ferry ticket on the bus marquee. So when they come back in a couple months and talk about this and it's not done, I would like to remember we suggested that. All right, thank you. I can take additional comments. Go ahead, Commissioner Colstrand. No, I was going to move adoption of the minutes with that um, amended uh, statement from Commissioner Whitesey. I'll second. Commissioner Whitesey seconds. All right, we'll do a quick roll call, please. That will be Commissioner Johnson. Aye. Commissioner Colstrand. Aye. And Commissioner Noctegal is absent. Chair Souls. Aye. Vice Chair Ewan. Aye. Commissioner Suthamfira? Aye. And Commissioner Whitesey? Aye. The motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Vice Chair, you want to pass this on to you so I can continue the meeting. All right, we'll start into our regular agenda under item six. Item 6A is to adopt a resolution to amend the Transportation Commission rules and procedures to implement a standardized agenda format recommended by the city clerk. Um, it includes an update to the public comment time as well as other updates. So I'm gonna turn it over to staff to walk us through those and the packet includes red lines um, as well as the staff report. Thank you. Um, so the Transportation Commission last updated your bylaws in May, 2020. Um, and as, as the title of the item suggested, the city clerk is asking all of boards and commissions to standardize their meeting agenda formats, including a standard order of business to make hybrid meetings <laughs> easier to run. Um, and then while we're updating the bylaws to make this possible, staff recommend a few other changes. So, um, well, but first I will say the order of business is now suggested to be Roll call, agenda changes, staff communications, and then non-agenda public comment instead of what was announcements and public comment, then consent calendar, regular agenda items, and then commission communications instead of what was a second announcements and public comment, and then adjournment. Um, staff also recommend updating uh, the public comment 
time so that when there are more than 10 commenters, which is 30 minutes of public comment at three minutes each, then the um, public comment would go down to two minutes each. So 11 and more would be two minutes each. Um, and there's also, there was something in the bylaws enabling commissioners to request agenda items to be added to the agenda with a 10 day um, notice period, which to given that we have a seven day public noticing period seemed quite short. <laughs> um, so uh, staff is recommending changing that to 30 calendar days. And, um, and then there are a few other smaller things like the bylaws had um, allowances for AC Transit and BART to have non-voting members on the Transportation Commission. We recommend adding VEDA, um, although none of these agencies is taking advantage of this, just putting it in there uh, and clean up, like taking out outdated plans and um, removing the list of specific months now that we adopt a calendar at the um, beginning of every year. That concludes my comments. Thank you, Lisa. Um, I wanted to ask the commissioners first that if there's any questions or clarifications in anything that you saw on this agenda item. Commissioner Colstrand? I have one clarification. So, and I had a discussion with uh, Commissioner Johnson earlier. So, commissioners are allowed to be remote. Uh, under certain conditions, one of those conditions, if you're sick, and presumably if you have a communicable disease, but it also says that you have to post the meeting at your house and allow people to come into your house. It, seem, it doesn't seem to <laughs> be a wise thing to do if you're sick. <laughs> so I'm wondering if we, if there's any sort of clarification available for that? That is not outlined in the bylaws, um, but if you wanna hear something about it, we happen to have our city clerk with us. Okay, great. I knew I was here for a reason. Um, so uh, basically there are a couple exemptions to having to post your address and everything. So. Pre the pandemic, the Brown Act required if you were participating remotely, you posted a location and made it open to the public. That still exists as an option. But now there are a couple of other things. You can also miss for two other reasons. Um, and those reasons, uh, we were we transmitted, I think, an email, maybe it was a little too early, that kind of outlined those exemptions to you guys. And so I'm quickly grabbing what we promote did with staff. So one is just cause exemption. And that one is if you're doing childcare, um, giving you have a contagious illness, a physical or mental disability need, or if you're traveling on official city business, which you have to be traveling as a transportation commissioner to meet that exception. And so for that one, you can do it up to two meetings per calendar year, and um, you don't have to put your remote location and have it open to the public. So that's one exception. The other exception is the emergency circumstances exception, and that's for um, physical or family medical emergency that permits Pre prevents in-person attendance. That one requires you to report out at the beginning of the meeting to the commission for them to vote to allow you to participate remotely. So those two instances, one that requires a vote, one that doesn't, both of them have a cap of no more than 20% of your regular meetings or two meetings a year if 
you meet 10 times or less. So you'd probably fall under that. I think your meetings are under that. So those are the two different exceptions that allow for that. Great, thank you for that clarification. Thanks for the question. Any other clarifications? Okay, let's take it to public comment to see if we have any public comments on this item, please. Again, you can still raise your hand virtually to be recognized or fill out a sheet. And no in-person comments and one um, online comment. Okay, let's welcome our online commenter. Good evening. You are uh, planning to remove public comment from near the end of the meeting to conform with city council's agenda format. The commission is to serve the public need. Sometimes the public needs clarification of an item discussed. There are not many public comments at the end of the meeting and it doesn't take much time. So why are you doing this? Thank you. Thank you. Other public comments? All right. And others. Okay. I'll bring it back to the commission for a motion or any items for discussion. Can I add a comment? Sure, chair? Yes. Um, just chair. one clarifying question is, uh, what's the difference between the, the red strikeout and the purple strikeout? Is it just two different people? We Yeah, it was just two different people. We just used word. Okay, okay. Uh, one um, change that's been made, I don't know whether it was there before, but at least in uh, track changes, is that the Transportation Commission will also serve as the BPAC. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so what, who was serving as BPAC before? Rochelle, uh, Rochelle, would you like to address this one? Yeah, I can address that. Rochelle Wheeler, Senior Transportation Coordinator. Um, we were using the Transportation Commission as the BPAC essentially before, but this is just making that, um, clarifying that and yeah. Okay, making it official. Clear and transparent. Okay, okay. All right, thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Uh, to move us along, I'll, I'll make a motion to approve the bylaws as redlined. Commissioner Colstrand. Second. Could we get a roll call? I have a, a resolution. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Okay. Resolution amending the Transportation Commission bylaws. So the motion is to make the resolution. Is that what you're saying, Lisa? Yeah. Yeah. I apologize. So motion to make the resolution to amend the bylaws as redlined. And Commissioner Colstrand. Second. Thank you. The resolution to be adopted still gets a roll call, correct? Oh yeah, sorry. Okay. Um, Commissioner Johnson. Aye. Commissioner Colstrand. Aye. Commissioner Noctegall is absent. Chair Souls. Aye. And Vice Chair Ewan. Aye. Commissioner Sufamfira. Aye. And Commissioner Whitesey. Aye. The resolution is adopted as written. All right, agenda item 6B, this is to, uh, this is an informational item to discuss link 21. The uh, presentation will be provided, I believe by staff or our um, friends over at BART. So I'll turn it over to you, Gail, thank you. Thank you. I'm just here to introduce the BART staff. We are fortunate to have Camille Sal and Brian Soland here. And when they were previously at consultants, they had worked on projects in the city of Alameda. So they're really familiar with the city of Alameda. They helped develop the, the transportation choices plan. So we're very fortunate to have them on the Link 21 team and leading the Link 21 effort. And 
link 21, the 21 is the mega region, the 21 counties, and the core project is the Transbay tube. And we're, as part of that, hopefully we'll get a rail station. And so I just, when we did do a significant survey or a statistically significant survey back in 2015, there was significant support, two thirds um, were very much in favor of uh, strongly supported and then 47 or let's see, um, yeah, two thirds were strongly supported it and only 18% somewhat supported. So the majority did support it. And we do, as part of this group, they've come back several times now and they try to come back every annually about. So thank you so much. Before you turn it over, and my apologies, I'm terrible about remembering recusals, but Commissioner Johnson, I believe you wanted to recuse from this item. Yeah, um, my firm works as a sub to uh, HNTB on the Link 21 program and I've, in my day job, I've reached out multiple times to the city of Alameda to get support letters for federal grants for the program. So I think it would be best if I recuse myself and just um, not um, watch the presentation. Okay, no mm -hmm. problem at all. We're gonna send you to the isolation booth. We'll come <laughs> get you afterwards. Thank you. Sorry about that, Gail. I didn't mean to interrupt your, your flow there. So let's give Commissioner Johnson just one moment to recuse. Hey, thank Good you evening. for waiting. Yeah, Please you're... welcome. <laughs> thank you for joining us. Of Go course. Ahead. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Camille Tsao. I'm the Capital Corridor Program Lead for Link 21. Um, this is a partnership between BART and Capital Corridor, um, as well as uh, we also receive support from the California State Transportation Agency. Um, as Gail mentioned, uh, my colleague Brian Soland is also here. He's the um, rail planning manager for Link 21, uh, BART employee. Um, and I'm here just to give you an update on the program since it's been, I think, over a year since uh, we've been here. Um, but we do communicate with staff on a fairly regular basis. So, um, and um, I believe we are coming back in May to present to your council. Um, so with that, a quick overview. Um, as Gail mentioned, the 21 in Link 21 uh, stands for the 21 County Northern California Mega Region. Um, we named it Link 21 because as part of our studies, we are looking at the potential benefits of a new rail crossing to the 21 County Mega Region. Um, and as I will explain later on in the presentation, what we do find is when you build uh, key pieces of infrastructure. Um, oftentimes you can find benefits to people that aren't next to the infrastructure, but they may be um, further away. Um, so that is, that is why we have Link 21 in our uh, project's name. So the Northern California mega region is the fifth largest mega regional economy in this country. Uh, we have a jobs and affordable affordable housing imbalance, which leads to persistent traffic, congestion, uh, climate change, and health damaging air pollution. Um, we have a passenger rail network that uh, includes both BART 
and what we refer to generically as regional rail. Um, and that includes Caltrain, Capital Corridor, ACE, the Amtrak services, the future high-speed rail services. Um, but sometimes those are inconvenient. They may not run long enough, run often enough, or maybe the travel time uh, isn't fast enough or it's disconnected. Um, in the Transbay corridor, which is between Oakland and San Francisco, we have the one rail crossing that exists today. That's the BART Transbay tube. Um, we projected growth from 2015 to 2040, which is around the time we expect the new crossing to open. And we estimate that there'll be a 26% in daily trips between within the San Francisco Bay Area. This is on all different kinds of modes. Um, and 64% of daily trips between the Bay Area and other areas of the Northern California mega region. Also, when we compare the San Francisco Bay Area to other major uh, mega regions in the United States and look at how far you can get if you ride rail for one hour, you'll see we can go an average of 35 miles in an hour by rail. Whereas in other places like New York, Chicago, Washington, DC, you can go 55 to 85 miles an hour. And that has to do again with the connectedness of the rail system, the travel time, um, transfers, things like that. So as I mentioned, Link 21, at the core of our project is a new Transbay uh, rail crossing between Oakland and San Francisco. We've been looking both at a BART, uh, BART gauge, which BART runs on different types of tracks than regional rail. Um, as well as regional rail gauge crossing. We looked at both. We looked at them individually. Um, we're continuing to study um, the, the benefits of those. And we plan to imp include improvements to both the BART and regional rail systems in our project. So we want uh, BART and regional rail to function like one system, not as two separate things. And this is consistent with the California State Rail Plan. Um, we find that there are a lot of synergies between the projects, other rail projects in the mega region and ours. For example, Caltrain is electrifying. Um, they are going to be able to increase the service that they run. Um, it's going to be more like BART-like frequencies, you know, every 10 minutes in the peaks. Um, they're uh, extending from Fourth and King in San Francisco to the Salesforce Transit Center. So if we build a regional rail crossing, we would connect into the Salesforce Transit Center and uh, trains from the peninsula would be able to cross the bay. Um, and likewise, capital corridor trains could cross from the East Bay into San Francisco. So there's a lot of synergies between various improvements that are going on with Link 21. These are our goals and objectives. Um, the one on the left, transform the passenger experience is what I consider the foundational goal because if we don't make a difference to people using rail, um, we are not going to achieve the other goals promote equity and livability, support economic opportunity and global competitiveness, or advance environmental stewardship and protection. The bullets underneath those goals are, are objectives, and then underneath the objectives, not shown here, we have a bunch of different metrics by which we're evaluating our concepts. 
Um, we have a, a very robust equity um, program that we're very proud of. Um, we've been working really hard um, with community-based organizations and our agency partners around the mega region to make sure we're engaging with uh, members of priority populations that have been marginalized previously, um, been impacted by large infrastructure projects. Um, so we've been partnering with them early in this project to understand their transportation needs and identify opportunities. We recently convened an equity advisory council um, which we received, I think, 90 applications from around the mega region. We selected 18 members, two of which are from Alameda. And we just launched this group in February um, and our next meeting will be in April. Slide is not advancing. Supposed to point. We'll see if we can get you some help. Hold on one second. That's really weird. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. This is a program timeline. So we are currently in phase one concept identification, and our what we're doing right now is we're developing concepts. Thus far, we've been focusing a lot on the crossing itself. And the next step is to really figure out what the other improvements will be beyond the crossing. Um, we're gearing up for our next major milestone, which will be about a year from now to start phase two. And um, basically by the beginning of phase two, we want to know what is in the crossing. Is it a BART gauge crossing? Is it a standard gauge crossing, which is what regional rail uses? Um, and we will be entering um, the environmental review process in phase two. So we've been, um, uh, we've been applying for state and federal funding to fund phase two. Um, and uh, our uh, expectation is that we'd be complete with environmental review in 2028 and then start phase three um, project delivery um, at that time and hopefully open a new crossing by 2039, 2040 thereabouts. You're gonna have to help me <laughs> keep going. So just a little bit on the engagement that we've conducted. Um, we've, we've got a number of different tactics with education materials, our website, social media, electronic newsletters. Um, we also, have been partnering with many different stakeholders, um, conducted briefings and presentations. We've done both in-person and virtual meetings and workshops, and we've conducted a number of different surveys. Just an example of our stakeholder groups. Um, and in our workshops, um, what we heard from Alamedans, um, as Gail mentioned, there is a very strong interest for a rail station in Alameda. Um, some of the locations that we've been looking at, working with your staff um, are listed here. Um, and they're you know, primarily on the west 
side of the island. And that is because of you know, where the crossing would go. Um, it makes sense for it to come through the west side of the island, um, as well as you know, support the new development that you have planned there. Um, we also heard that walkability and accessibility to BART is important, um, better regional rail connections, and interest in a more integrated rail network. And then um, finally, we've heard that just improved travel options between Alameda and Oakland or other areas within the East Bay would, are, are of interest. So um, I'm gonna introduce the concepts that we're gonna be showing to the public. Um, but before I get into that, the business case framework is, um, a framework that we're applying in our program. It's not as common in the United States. It's more common in other countries, but it's becoming more um, common. And um, what we wanna do is we wanna make sure that we're evaluating our project based on these four um, categories. So the strategic case, economic case, financial case, deliverability and operations case. And um, we're going to be applying the business case several times throughout the program to make sure it's justified um, before we move on to the next milestone. So um, I already mentioned that we've been looking at both BART and regional rail in the crossing. And one thing that we're trying to um, inform the public about is that when they think of BART today, people who are familiar with BART, they think of frequent service, they think of stops that are you know, fairly close together depending on where you are. Um, as I mentioned, only BART trains can run on BART tracks. They're a, a specific track gauge. Um, and the service area is within the five county BART district. Um, when we talk about regional rail, people may think of the, the trains they see today uh, capital corridor Caltrain that are pulled by diesel-powered locomotives. These are not the trains that we are talking about when Link 21 talks about regional rail. We are talking about modern vehicles such as the Caltrain electric vehicles that are going to be running in about a year. And they can actually perform similar to BART in terms of frequency. They can start and stop um, like BART. Uh, except the difference is, is they run on the tracks that are the same as the national network. So you can get a train like this up to Sacramento, whereas a BART train is not going to go up to Sacramento on um, the tracks that we have. Um, and so uh, they can sort of do double duty, if you will. They can still provide long distance service um, like we do today, but they can also provide this urban metro-like service. And that is something that we're just trying to share with people because they may not know that if they haven't seen it before. Um, so as I mentioned in the beginning of the presentation, um, Link 21, if we're just talking about the crossing, it can really unlock travel potential far and wide beyond just from where the crossing is located. So the gray arrows just represent some of the, you know, regional rail services that we have today or are planned, like, you know, down to Salinas, Monterey area. 
And just thinking about, you know, if we have, if we fill that gap across the bay, which is what the state transportation plan, state rail plan envisions, we can have better regional connectivity. Um, and if we add on to that, uh, improve travel time, frequency, some direct service, better transfers, um, we can really see, you know, uh, the potential for people to use rail more for these longer trips. I already talked about the vehicle technology being better and um, the infrastructure would be designed to support this better service. Okay, so um, these are concepts, again, just really focused on the crossing that we introduced last fall. Um, and I think just the important thing to point out is that we were investigating a number of different things. No, nothing has been selected yet. Um, so these examples on the screen now uh, show, okay, what if you have a regional rail crossing? Um, and um, in the one on the left, you see a possible station in Alameda. The one on the right doesn't show the Alameda station. And that was because that one was just trying to um, serve the, I guess its main objective was let's get people from, let's say Sacramento to San Francisco as quickly as possible. What is the most direct route we could take? Um, but like I said, we have not um, uh, eliminated anything yet. So these are just kind of all the options that we've shown to the public. Um, and just trying to have a discussion about the trade-offs between touching a few more communities and having a few more stations versus you know, faster travel time. Um, you'll see in this one, you know, both, both options go to the Salesforce Transit Center and would connect into that train box that is there today without any tracks um, that is going to someday receive Caltrain and high-speed rail. <laughs> Next, please. Um, and so these are ones that we're going to introduce in June. And um, I know they don't look that different, um, but really the takeaway is that in these concepts, we're focusing on what I shared a minute ago, which is what if you just have a regional rail crossing and you need to provide both that urban metro service and that intercity um, express service? Can you do that with just one crossing? And we know that we can, um, but we also know that in order to do that, we need to have really good connections with the existing BART system on the East Bay. So the left side shows, okay, we would connect into the MacArthur station and that way if the BART two were to need to be closed down that people could easily transfer from the BART system to this regional rail infrastructure and cross the bay. Or on the right side, if people needed to get from BART to regional rail, they could do so at 12th Street, Oakland City Center. Again, these are just some ideas about how we might do that. Nothing's been selected. Next. And then these were concepts we showed in the fall that um, looked at BART. What would BART do if it was in the, the new crossing? On the right, on the, on the East Bay side, they're both the same. Uh, we show potential Alameda station as well as 
uh, a Jack London station um, and some other possible stations. These are all potential stations. We're not saying we would have every single one of these. Um, and then on the, the San Francisco side, we show either going somewhere near Salesforce Transit Center, assuming there's still a lot of people that wanna get to uh, the financial district area, or we show on the right side, uh, the potential of going to the Mission Bay area, where we know there is a lot of growth in San Francisco and a lot of travel demand. So next steps for Link 21, we'll continue to collaborate with your staff and other agencies and cities, um, as well as other stakeholders in the mega region. As I mentioned, we're working on identifying funding for phase two of our program, and we'll be continuing to refine these concepts as we do our outreach and conduct our analysis. Um, we've got outreach planned for the summer around the June timeframe and then also in the fall. Um, and then we will um, have, I should say spring of next year actually, <laughs> um, concept identification um, will be our next major milestone. And that's it, happy to take questions. Thank you, thank you, Camille. Uh, so this is an informational item, so if there are any questions or comments from the commissioners. I'm going to take those first, and then we'll follow with public comment before closing out the item. Are there any questions or comments related to the presentation? Thank you. Are, are you asking for clarifying comments? Or it's informational, so any, any kind of comments or clarifications you want to have, Commissioner Colstrain, are fine for right now. Thank you for the presentation, and this is very exciting to think of uh, this regional rail connection for the future. Uh, so I just want to be clear in your presentation. So you're saying it will be regional rail or BART, will not be a dual tube. It will only be for one of the services. Yeah, we did look at having both regional rail and BART crossing, um, in other words, a four track crossing. And what we found in our, in our analysis is that there wasn't enough demand by the year 2050 to justify four tracks um, and it possibly even beyond 2050. So right now we're just focusing on two tracks. And so we're trying to figure out which technology that would be, but we would not preclude the other, the second technology from being built in the future. So we're just breaking it up. So if you do an EMU that, um, well, that could run on the regular tracks, but it would require well, it depends on how through how you, the trains run through or not from Sacramento, because those are different. Yes. So trains. Um, yeah. So I think what you're asking is if Caltrain trains, which will be electrified, come through the crossing and go to the East Bay, how would they continue up the East Bay? Is that your, what you're asking? Yeah. Well, at some point, you'd still have to have a uh, transfer right to get yes. to Sacramento. So or... we're we're still looking at that. Um, so likely trains from the so we're going to have we're we're looking at both a more local service as well as a longer distance service. We're trying to be operator agnostic, so I try not to refer um, to operators too much. But imagine Peninsula trains coming up to San Francisco, crossing the east to the East Bay and perhaps they go up to Richmond and then turn around, or they go down to Coliseum and turn around. They wouldn't okay. go all the way to Sacramento. 
then Sacramento trains may come down um, across the bay uh, and then go into San Francisco. We'd have to figure out where they could turn around because it's not easy to turn around in downtown San Francisco, but they wouldn't go all the way to San Jose necessarily. Right. Down okay. So that's one of the challenges you have to figure yes. out. Yes. <laughs> um, another question is, um, when I was working on high-speed rail, I know there was a lot of concern that the um, basement of the Salesforce Transit Center did not have enough capacity for Caltrain and high-speed rail. So is the thinking here that by sending the trains through, it would open up the capacity um, at that location? Yeah. So. Um making a, a, tra a train station a through station as opposed to a dead end does increase its capacity. Um, but we're working closely with Caltrain because they have their service vision and they have assumptions that go up to um, 12 Caltrains an hour, four high-speed trains an hour. Um, so we're working with them to make sure that whatever we're planning um, you know, is consistent with their assumptions and that they could be accommodated on the peninsula because the peninsula is is constrained when it comes right. to capacity. So we are working with them to make sure that whatever assumptions we're making that they are on board with. Okay, and then the last question is, um, how are you addressing the issue of the low BART ridership right now? Because I'm sure it's coming up a lot. Um, you know, we, we've been reading in the papers that BART is going to go be bankrupt by 2025, and, and the ridership is way down. So how are you addressing that as you uh, present at all these public meetings? I mean, it's a great question, and it's one we get all the time. And um, all I can say is, one, you know, we're we're continuing to look at projections for ridership. And, you know, we're still kind of waiting to see what happens. Um, but thus far, projections have been that we will eventually turn. The question is when. And as you probably know, it takes a long time to plan these mega projects. So if we, if we stopped or we slowed down, we would have to pick up again eventually. And then we'd have even more time that we would have to wait for something like this. So, um, you know, we're, we're doing the best that we can. We, we'll, we'll also be running some scenario testing. Um, we've done that a little bit already to see, okay, if, if more people telework, you know, is there still the demand? Mm -hmm. um, so we're trying to be, you know, to, trying to do our due diligence as planners and, and make sure that we're looking at those alternate scenarios. Um, another thing I'll say, though, that is from the Capital Cor Corridor perspective, many of our riders were kind of doing um, this alternate work schedule pre-pandemic. You know, we had a lot of folks that would just ride on Monday, come down, stay in the Bay Area, return on Thursday or Friday. And so they weren't this, this everyday, like, AM, PM commuter all the time. And, and since more people have moved away from the central, you know, core areas because of the pandemic, um, we find that actually, you know, 
uh, our service or the service that we were providing is, is actually very relevant to the post-pandemic world because that is kind of the way people are traveling now if they're coming to the office. They might just come for a few days and then work at home for the other days of the week. Um, so we still see that there's a lot of relevance, especially for mega regional travel in terms of trying to get people to and from the Bay Area around the mega region. Um, also, I'll say one more thing. I know it's a long answer, but um, I think what we've learned as the transit industry is that focusing on the commute periods is not a, a recipe for success, right? Especially post pandemic. Uh, if you look around the country, around the world where transit systems have recovered, it's where people have been able to take use transit for all kinds of trips mm -hmm. and all different hours of the day and different days of the week. And when we did our polling, people were interested in using rail, not just for commuting, but going to medical appointments, visiting friends, going to school, going to sporting events. And so that is something that we're factoring in in our service planning is how do we expand service and make it more available for all different kinds of trips in different days of the week and different times of day. Um, there's an operating cost to that, obviously, but um, we're really trying to focus on this post-pandemic travel needs, travel patterns um, to something that's more well-rounded. And uh, I said that was my last question, but I <laughs> do have one more, because, and it relates to the item that's next on our agenda. So as you're planning this, what what will be the opportunities for bicyclists to bring their bicycles on? I, I, I can't recall what the uh, allowances are on BART right now. I know on regional rail, you're allowed to uh, yeah. bring your bicycle on. Yeah, BART has these designated areas for bikes um, on both the current uh, vehicles and the new, the new trains that actually have these little racks for them. At all hours? Or is it, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like use your judgment kind of thing. If it's super crowded, you wouldn't force your bike on there, but um, I have yet to see a bike get bumped. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Colstrand. Commissioner Whitey. Uh, I had a couple of questions. One of them was kind of following up on your response to Commissioner Colstrand. I just wanted to be clear. So you said that you guys did, a, your demand analysis said that four tracks by 2050 would be excessive. You wouldn't need it. I was curious, is that was that analysis done post-pandemic? And yes. or it was done post. Did you guys do, and you guys presumably did an analysis pre-pandemic. Did you come to a different conclusion at that time that four lane, four rails actually was a good idea? There was another study um, published by MTC called the Horizon Crossing Study in 2019, mm -hmm. November, 2019. And um, they evaluated a, a number of different crossings, including auto crossings. Um, and the, the BART plus regional rail came out on top as the, the most, um, the, I guess, best performing one. So we had kind of been building off of that. Sorry, because I'm not super familiar with the vocabulary. So the old version of the study suggested that four rails was a good idea. And then post pandemic, the study says it wasn't, well, it was too so much. So um, I should clarify, it's not that four tracks is not a good idea. It's just that by 2050, we don't need the capacity of four. So we can just build two for now and then 
not preclude two additional ones in the future. Okay, I guess I'm, I'm, I might be phrasing inartfully. When that was done pre-pandemic, did you come to a different conclusion? Did it say that, yes, we should build four rails by 2050 based on patterns, oh, oh, based right. on patterns up till 2019? You know, it wasn't as detailed of a study, okay. so I don't know what year that said we needed it by. Okay. I, I guess the reason I ask is because it seems maybe slightly short-sighted. I mean, we're if you're basing things on what's happened in the last three years, it who the hell knows what's going to be going on in 2040. And it seems like if there are studies that when things were really rolling here and that that was needed, um, projecting out you know that many years and then saying well what's happening now is probably going to be uh guidance for decades from now seems like not the greatest choice i mean again i'm not an expert at all but i just it seems like we don't want to take this moment in time and make ourselves cut ourselves short based on an extremely unlikely to repeat itself event so i mean again i understand you guys are looking at this and i assume that you've looked at it from both directions it's just it seems like if there have been previous studies that said this was a good idea that should have some weight going forward. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing that hasn't changed is the Transbay Corridor is still the most congested yeah, corridor totally. in the Northern California mega region. So, um, and that's during the pandemic and post-pandemic. Can, can I ask another question? It's, yeah. it's about equity. Um, I never know how to phrase this question, so forgive me. So um, the equity outreach is great. And I think that that's something that's really important for this project. I do wonder what are the guardrails on that a little bit? And the, re the way I said, the way I mean guardrails is like any project is inherently going to be somewhat inequitable. I mean, there are, there are neighborhoods that get a station and get a lot of construction. There are, there are houses that need to be demolished. There are things that have to happen for a big project to work, to be built. And so I kind of wonder like, what is, what is your viewpoint on, equity versus the best version of this project. I mean, we've all heard the perhaps apophical story about BART downtown has a little bit of a curve in it because there was a hardware store and that hardware store didn't want BART to go under it. And that hardware store was out of business by the time BART was built. And now, so the rest of us are dealing with that from now through the end of time. And that, that same kind of thing, I mean, I'm not trying to be flippant, but like that same kind of thing is potentially here because there are going to be groups that are going to be compromised based on the choices you guys make. And, and some of those compromises might have to be good. I mean, they, they might have to happen to make a good project that's faster and then that gets people across the bay. And so I wondered like, what is, what is the guardrail on equity preventing you from doing the best project you can do? That's a really great question. And I'm not quite sure how to answer that at this moment because we're so, I mean, we're, we have so much totally. work left to do. I guess I guess I would just like you guys. To, I guess I would like you guys like have part of part of that discussion should be yeah. like how do we be sure that we're not being guided into a worse, a significantly worse project based on interest groups yeah. I mean, of I any think, of any sort. Right. I, I think the business case is is supposed to provide that guardrail framework. I, I know you know I just flashed it up on the screen, yeah. but we have to ask ourselves, you know, are we serving the mega region and are we doing all these other things, right? To, to kind of maintain that holistic view yep. every time we apply it. Um, but yeah, it's not an easy uh, task by any means. <laughs> let, let me ask one more question if I yeah, could. Sure. Um, <laughs> so the environmental review is long because this is California and you see number, you see years put up and we all get kind of depressed that we're all gonna be 80 before this thing is built. Um, how do you, how do you, how would you shorten the environmental review for this 
this whole thing? Like what, how could you cut off a couple of years? Like we've, it's not directly related necessarily, but like we, we have exceptions to CEQA, for example, where we're building projects and we say everything has to be wrapped up in a year. We're doing this for the A's ballpark in theory. And so I'm curious, what are your thoughts on what would shorten the environmental review, given that this project inherently has to be pro-environment because we're adding transit and we're getting rid of car trips and it's like an intuitively obvious thing. How do you take years off this project so people can use it sooner? Yeah, I think, um, well, one way we're doing it is, so, so for a project to go through the environmental process efficiently, it has to be well-defined. And I think there have been projects in the past where things weren't very well defined and they sort of used the environmental process to like, you know, go through a bunch of a universe of alternatives that maybe should have been figured out before they started it. Um, so I don't know about shortening the time frame I showed on the screen, but we're really trying to do the work we need to do upfront and before we start the environmental process to kind of answer some questions so that by the time we get there, we're not having, we're not fumbling to answer all these questions that we should have answered outside of the environmental process. Questions that the environmental process wasn't even designed to help answer. So that's number one. I think where we can probably save time is in the, in the design and construction phase, the deliverability phase. And that's where, you know, we start to use public private partnerships and, you know, doing more innovative things to, to get the project implemented. That is probably the time to do it. Um, but, you know, we're showing four years, four to five years for maybe a year of technical studies and then the environmental process, which, yeah, it'd be nice if it was shorter, but I mean, it's, it's a big, it's a big project and we're probably going to have to, you know, divvy it up into pieces and phases. And so there's going to be a lot to figure out. Um, so we'll try our best though. <laughs> Thank you for taking my questions. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Commissioner Whitesey. Are there any other questions? The commissioners, excuse me, Commissioner Susan Thera, please go ahead. Uh, thank you, Chair. Thank you, Kamil. Uh, great presentation and uh, exciting project indeed. It's a visionary project, long coming. And uh, I'm glad to hear uh, being an Alameda resident, um, I want to say. And um, really keeping my fingers crossed about uh, Alameda getting a station. Um, if, and of course, fingers crossed that the project is getting built, you know, given all the a speculation that's going on around and about being on the news every day, transit fiscal crisis is the highlight uh, these days. So um, happy to hear the, uh, that the project is still relevant and in the hybrid scenario, mm -hmm. hybrid working scenario. Um, so just a few notes in that sense, um, a few points is, um, you know, having done, having been in the transportation planning, uh, in the regional work, it's keeping the transit, especially you know um, the regional rail, competitive for the cars and keeping it convenient for the people to get to from A to B or A to Z um, is really important. Um, and you talked about the commute people um, coming from outside. Uh, I mean, further out from the mega region and uh, getting to. Uh, the Bay Area and then going to probably games and things like that, that's all fine, but still for a family to go to Sacramento, it may be more cost effective to go in the car. 
think about it, right? I hope, uh, you know, these are all, I'm sure uh, you're thinking through. And uh, yeah, it's like uh, the first mile, last mile is always a big um, issue, whether it is a, a bot train or, uh, you know, the region rail or more so. So um, yeah, that's uh, one uh, question I have is in terms of coordination, you said, um, you know, the Caltrain connection. Um, and uh, of course, it's you're thinking of uh, Sacramento and uh, the core of this project being the tube. Um, but are you also connecting or coordinating with the Valley Rail project? We do talk to folks from San Joaquin JPA slash ACE. Yeah, right, we do talk right. to them about that. Um, so the current plan is that um, the San Joaquin service, um, you know, currently goes through Martinez and we share a corridor from Martinez to um, Emeryville. But um, when high-speed rail comes online, their plan is actually to stop in Martinez. And so folks could transfer to our service and get into the Bay. Um, but um, yeah, we do, we do coordinate with Valley Rail uh, Valley Link, right? Valley other Link. rail operators and projects in the area. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, waiting to see for more good news coming from this project. Good luck. Thank you. Are there any other comments or questions? Okay. Thank you for the information on this item. I'm going to open it up to public comment now. You can have a seat, Camille. Yeah. We'll, if there's any um, things that we think we need to address, we, we may ask you to stick around for the rest of the item. But um, let's go ahead and go to public comment. Raise your hand virtually or fill out a slip. Um, they, there's one person who'd like to speak. Good evening. Jim Strelo again. In the long run, I think it'll be a wonderful asset to provide more access to the region. I am concerned, however, about the exuberance factor. Uh, for some transportation projects, people are in favor of a project until reality sits in. Uh, I provide two San Francisco examples. Van S. Mess. People were in favor of the redesign of Van S. until the one-year project has become a three-year project. And businesses that are along that corridor have closed or you know not not been profitable during the the entire time. Second, Chinatown Railway. It was uh, you know it took many years to install all that. A lot of uh, you know people were inconvenienced to install it, and then it's underutilized. So my word is just caution to be uh, realistic in your projections. Thank you. Thank you. Do we have other public comments? There are no more. All right. This was an informational item, so I'm going to go ahead and close that. Could we retrieve Commissioner Johnson, please? Hello. Welcome, Welcome back, back, Commissioner Johnson. 
And for agenda item 6C, the um, Oakland Alameda Estuary Bridge Project update, I'm going to turn it over to Vice Chair Yu and I'm going to recuse due to a conflict of interest. Great. Thank you, Chair Souls. Um, good evening, everyone. So I'm going to be facilitating this part of the discussion in Chair Soul's absence. Um, and this is 6C, which is the bike ped bridge update, which is information only. And um, looks like I'm turning it over to Rochelle Wheeler. Yes, thank you. For Vice presentation. Yes, thank you, Vice Chair Ewan. Um, I'm gonna try presenting from here so I can uh, move through my slides and see my notes. So apologies, still kind of getting used to this new hybrid system here. Um, so good evening, um, Vice Chair and Commissioners. I'm Rochelle Wheeler, Senior Transportation Coordinator. Um, and I'll be presenting this, pro I'm also the project manager for the Oakland Alameda Estuary Project. Um, it's interesting to go after Camille about Link 21, because there are certainly many parallels, including um, similar corridors um, to the two projects, but our project is a much smaller scale. Um, so I'm just going to give you an update on um, a background again on the history of this project, um, what phase we're at now, what we've been working on, and where we're going um, from here. So um, as the commission is very aware, um, there is this um, gap between Alameda and Oakland that is served by um, the Posey and um, Webster tubes. And yet um, Oakland and Alameda are really at the center of a growing region. Um, the two separate, the cities are separated by just about 800 to 1000 feet uh, wide estuary. Um, and MTC, um, I'm sorry, and, and we're projecting that Oakland and Alameda will grow by about <clears throat> 230,000 people by 2040. So there'll be, um, we know that already there's a lot of um, congestions and backups and traveling between the two cities. And so, you know, there's also the potential for um, a lot more of that as the cities are growing. Um, so we really, um, don't have adequate ways for um, safe um, pedestrian um, people with disabilities or bicycle connections between these two cities. Um, many of you know, or perhaps have been through the existing um, uh, three foot wide uh, Posey tube. Um, this is, a, you know, from our view, a completely deficient facility. Um, it's definitely far, very far from a complete street, and yet this is this is the only access for people walking and biking to get between the two cities on the west end over to Jack London Square and that area. Um, you know, it's noise. It's people complain a lot about the noise, um, it being unhealthy, unpleasant, and many people, if they do ever use this pathway, say they'll never do it again. <laughs> Um, we also know that even though this um, estuary crossing is very short, it's only about, like I said, 800 to 1,000 feet. It's very easy, like especially for the foot of Alameda Landing, to see, you know, how, how close now um, at the foot of Fifth Street. Sorry, how close the two cities really are. And um, sorry, I'm just gonna. I think I need to. Just going to time myself here. Um, and um, we also know if we go from the Park Street Bridge to the end of Alameda, 
Um, that's five and a half miles of shoreline with no adequate walking or biking crossings between the two cities. Um, when you start looking at what our existing and proposed Bay Trail and bikeway networks are on both sides of the estuary, you can see what dense networks we have that are really only connected by the Posey tube right now. So um, there's, you know, this obviously is having impacts on um, the communities surrounding here. We have um, many equity priority communities and EJ um, communities in these areas and, you know, providing only, you know, basically auto options um, and transit as well um, across between these two areas results in a lot more vehicle trips. So reducing the, um, the, the obstacles to biking and walking can really um, help reduce vehicle trips for people who for, that are traveling through these um, um, equity priority communities, uh, thereby reducing, improving safety by reducing vehicles and also improving air quality uh, by reducing um, and health by reducing air pollutants and also reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And really looking at this project, um, this is something we mapped out um, recently is, you know, this is a small crossing here between the two cities, but really when you start looking at how far people are willing to walk, uh, which is in the purple or um, bike on a standard bike, which is in the green or with an e-bike, um, this is kind of, this is mapping out up to 30 minute trips to get across the this estuary, you really see that this is much more than a local project. It's a regional project, and just as for Link Twenty One, there's a lot of synergies. You know, obviously there are a lot of BART stations. There's the Bay, there's the Bay Bridge. Um, you can see that you know you could get out to Treasure Island um, on an e-bike um, pretty within thirty minutes if there were a connection here between Alameda and Oakland. So um, looking at this, um, you know, this obviously this lack of bicycle, pedestrian and, and transit to crossings here between um, the west end of Alameda to Oakland um, has been something that the city has been looking at for over 15 years. Um, and in 2009, there was a study funded by Alameda CTC that looked at all the 17 different crossing options and came up with um, uh, near mid and um, long term options and the best long, the, the long term option that was recommended was a lift bridge. Um, and then um, subsequent to that, um, there were some different additional kind of bridge designs that were looked like and looked at and in 2021 also funded by Alameda CTC was a estuary crossing study and travel demand study. And that looked at further at the feasibility of building a lift bridge to meet the Coast Guard's navigational requirements and found that that is technically feasible. And now we're in the next, the last box here, which is the project initiation document. Um, and that's the phase that we're at now, which has started last year and we'll be finishing up early next year. And throughout this um, time, um, over the past 15 years, this um, estuary crossing project, um, the bridge has been included in um, 
13 different plans. You can see there are regional plans, uh, county plans, and local plans that this project is included in. Um, and one I'll just point out is Caltrans did a Bay Area bike highway study. And this corridor was one of the top three scoring corridors um, within that study um, for a need for um, a crossing there. So the PID phase or project initiation document, which I'll get into more detail about in a moment, um, is really this, this two-year phase. And we're actually looking at it a little bit more broadly. One is we will be completing a project initiation document, which is a, a, a further study that we'll be doing and kind of looking high level at environmental issues and permitting issues and regulatory issues. Uh, that will have actually now probably up to six bridge alternatives is what we're thinking now. I know this says three, but we're thinking it will be six now. Um, and um, we are also using this time to start engaging with the community and leaders really to build project knowledge, to get lots of input on what the, con you know, what the constraints are, what people's concerns are, what their desires are, and to build support for the project and also to set the project up for success. Um, we don't wanna finish this phase and then have the project stop at that point. Um, and so we really wanna start looking at funding for the future, future phases, a project sponsor and an environmental lead for the next phase. So we've set up three different advisory committees um, for this project and uh, we uh, have a stakeholder advisory committee and an equity advisory committee. And they have met each, uh, they have met twice. Uh, actually for the second meeting, we combined these two committees together. And then separately, we have a technical advisory committee and they at this point have met three times. And you can see a list of um, the types of entities that are included in those and agencies that are included. So we're really reaching very, very widely out to try to get a broad range of input and uh, feedback on this project. Um, I will um, say that I reached out to the Transportation Commission chair, and um, we would like to have someone from the Transportation Commission be a part of the stakeholder advisory committee. And so um, she's um, she will be um, following up on that, but that is an invitation. We wanted to invite one or two people to be on that. And this was in your packet, so I won't linger here, but these are all the invitees. There's probably more that we haven't added, oops, sorry, onto here for the stakeholder advisory committee and the equity advisory committee. Um, it's a very wide invite list and obviously everybody is not showing up, but we're trying to cast a very wide net here. Um, so our um, overall schedule for the bridge project is starting in the phase we're in right now is the project initiation document, um, setting up these, um, uh, the, the TAC and the SAC and the EAC meetings. Um, and then really there are, and the, this phase is funded. And just to be clear, there are you know, additional phases, which you just heard about for link 21 as well the uh, project approval and environmental document phase, then the um, PSE phase, the plans phase, and then the construction phase. And these are some very rough timelines that we've, um, you know, we're looking at right now. Those could change and all of those phases are still unfunded. So I wanted to talk here just about what this phase we're in right now, this project initiation document phase is. So we've hired 
um, two consultant teams to support us in developing this document uh, with funding, um, all of the funding coming from the Alameda CTC. Um, and this PID is really providing the technical foundation for the next phases of the bridge design and implementation. Um, this PID process, just to be clear, it, it will not and cannot select an ultimate alignment. It's, it's not a document where we select the final alternative that, that has to be evaluated in the environmental phase. So um, it's great hearing input from people on which alignment they would like, but we, we will not be choosing one specific alignment and one specific um, alternative. Um, and we also are not determining the final design of the bridge. We are starting to circulate and talk about a lot of different ideas, but uh, ultimately this phase um, is, is as higher level than that. And the purpose is really to establish the project development support costs for the next phase um, and to, to establish that the project is technically feasible and then to have enough um, level of a specificity to determine kind of our upper end planning level cost estimates, technical environmental study needs, right of way needs, a overall schedule, the project need and purpose and to start gathering community input. And like I said, much more design work and community and stakeholder engagement would be happening through the next phase or the, the PAED phase. So um, how do we see this project moving forward? Um, right, this we have mapped out um, from now until you know a bridge is constructed and being operated and maintained, how we would see really kind of what is our um you know, we're, we're kind of thinking of it as the best case scenario. Um, we're not sure um, if we have plan Bs, hopefully we can find them, but the uh, we as the city of Alameda have stepped up to do this phase of the project initiation document. We're working very closely in partnership with the city of Oakland and their staff through this, because obviously any project that is built has to land and be approved by Oakland as well. Um, and we're completing this PID per the Caltrans standards using Alameda CTC funding. Um, what we see is the next phase ideally is that Alameda CTC would be the implementing agency for the next phase and future phases as well, potentially. Um, and that Caltrans would be the lead agency for environmental. And that would be the most efficient way to do this. So we have started talking to the um, both the agencies about this. I will be very transparent and say <laughs> we're certainly very far from yes on those questions um, and um, uh, those asks and um, I think you know both agencies are very interested in seeing us complete this PID document and um, and you know we are having discussions with the staff level and um, we are, um, you know, hoping to that yeah, that we can move this along because we're not really, you know, so somebody has to agree to take on the next phase, um, and um, if not, the project will will kind of die on the vine. So, um, and then the next phase after that would be the bridge would um, we would want the, to see the bridge added to the state highway system, and have it owned and maintained by Caltrans, and really the. The reason for that is that um, they seem like the most logical agency because this bridge would, as I said in the beginning, is a deficient, the Posey and Webster tubes are deficient facilities. 
And we see this uh, as the really only way to fix that deficient facility. Um, there, there are no options for improving the existing tubes um, as they are now, um, although a, a separate path, a second path will be built in the Webster tube, but that would also be a very narrow pathway similar to what's in the POSI tube. So we're having conversations, but I want to emphasize and that you know there are no agreements, but um, this is this is what we see as the path forward. So um, we have worked with our um, our advisory committees to develop uh, the project purpose and need, and that was included in, as Exhibit Two in your um, in your packet. Um, so this is draft and will stay draft into the next phase. So we're not trying to finalize this now, but um, this project, um, uh, you know, there, we've looked at kind of what the high level purpose is for it. And a lot of these are things we talked about, but really reducing that barrier effect of the Oakland estuary, um, especially for equity priority communities. And we want to provide a comfortable ADA compliant, convenient and low stress costing, crossing for people of all ages and abilities. Um, we are looking at, you know, multi multimodal connectivity. So the fact that this would connect to Amtrak and AC Transit and WIDA and also um, the ferry terminals and also BART. Um, obviously we want to encourage mode shift away from single occupant motor vehicles. Um, this would be a zero cost option. Right now, people can use transit, but obviously that costs money as a person walking or biking to get on, on transit. Um, and um, this can also be um, a way to increase some resiliency to climate change and disaster recovery by having another um, estuary crossing. So in terms of the location for the bridge, um, just high level criteria were to look to um, where people, you know, prioritizing locations for the bridge that are close to where people live and where they want to go, um, and also close to transit. And then we also know we need to avoid some locations, which are those that would require, ideally, um, we would avoid locations that uh, don't require acquisition of private property and are not disruptive to the existing waterfront environment. Um, we looked at it, we started with a very broad study area um, all the way down towards the Park Street Bridge on the right, um, and then to Howard Terminal on the left. And um, so this was the study area we looked at, the lines or some of the crossings we were considering, you know, starting with a lot of alternatives. And pretty quickly, we narrowed the study area down to avoid reach six, which is, um, uh, on the far left, which is um, part of the Port of Oakland. Uh, we need to stay out of that area. Um, and then also we wanted to work in an area where the distances are shorter. So um, that also means staying more to the west. And then um, as you move further, whoops, as you move further east, you're getting closer to the Park Street Bridge. And so we don't see a need to duplicate that access that's already there. So when we do that, um, we narrow it down to this area. So this is essentially our study area here. Um, essentially on the Oakland side, it's between Clay Street and the Estuary Park. And on the Alameda side, it's between the Alameda Landing waterfront to the Marina Village Park. Um, so both of these are less than a mile, um, you know, somewhere around three quarters to a little over half a mile distances. And so these are the 
This is the tighter city area that we're looking at for the bridge crossing. And then we started looking at what are the constraints in the study area. Um, and those are what you see here in red. You see that reach six for the Port of Oakland where they need to be able to kind of store boats and possibly to help with boats, uh, ships turning around um, or queuing. Um, you see the um, Alameda Municipal Power easement for a high voltage power line. Um, you can see the state, uh, the tubes, the Webster and the Posey tube, that's the state uh, Caltrans. There's a, uh, and then there's uh, the two East Bay mud water lines. So we, ne we need to not necessarily totally avoid these areas, but obviously wouldn't do any um, drilling in these areas. And then the other constraints are obviously waterfront development and marinas. So, and you can see that on this map, you can see we've got from red down to green. Really, we can't say there, uh, this is a very constrained area overall. And so we really kind of look at it as a, on a gradation of very high constraint to maybe lower constraint. And on the low end are the green, which are um, existing parks or green open spaces. Um, the medium constraints are some of the, the public roadways. And then the high, higher constraints are the marinas. Um, and then the very high are those, the ones that I went over earlier. Um, and that, where that lands us is basically three different corridors. We've got our Western, our Central, and our Eastern corridors. And what you can see here is one you know, possible alternative with ramping, very schematic. And what we're doing right now is we're really looking at within these three corridors, um, what are the different um, alternatives for where the piers could go, where the ramping could go, what kind of ramping. Um, and um, where we're going with this is looking at having at least one alternative um, in each of these three corridors that are studied in the project initiation document and um, possibly two alternatives in each corridor, which would be a higher elevation bridge and a lower elevation bridge. So there are many variables that for each bridge that we're still um, looking at and vetting and start to starting to talk about with the public, which include how high the bridge deck is above the water, um, the bridge type, whether it's a lift bridge or a bascule bridge, which is more like the Park Street Bridge. Um, the span, which is the, the distance between the two towers, whether it's opening on demand or more scheduled openings for the bridge, the length and the grade of the ramps um, and the ramp design, whether it's straight or helix. And these variables are all pretty much interconnected and they all impact walking and biking usability, the recreational and commercial boat activities, urban context and costs. And we know that there will be trade-offs. We know that there is no one ideal unconstrained location. And um, so we are now kind of in the process of analyzing, um, like I said, the different alternatives that are looking at different um, variables of these, these different design variables to try to find something that will fit and that would be one of the least constrained, most feasible alternatives. And this is just illustrating one of those, which is the height and the length of the bridge. We know the Coast Guard is, um, told us that the navigational clearance requirements from them are that the distance between the two spans should be 600 feet. 
and that the bridge needs to rise to the 175 feet to allow their Coast Guard cutters to pass through. Um, and um, the height off the water is not a variable that the Coast Guard has specified, um, but um, it, it is a very important variable for um, the users um, and boaters and, and also for the waterfront um, kind of the urban context, because as you can see in the table at the top, the higher the bridge is, the more ramping you have. And you can see um, this little schematic here is showing four foot high or four um, story high buildings on either side, the Bay 37 apartments in Alameda, and then um, the ferry building in Oakland. And you can see the ramping that has to occur in the helixes and the length of it. So it's pretty, um, when you have a 70 foot high bridge, which is what allows most recreational boats or sailboats to pass under, um, that is, um, that's the kind of ramping you need. Whereas if you can do a lower height bridge, you half the ramping, let's say if you go to a 700 to a 40, a 70 to a 40 foot high bridge, you can um, half the amount of ramping that you have, and then you have less, um, less that a, a pedestrian, somebody walking, somebody biking has to scale up and, and climb. And you also have less impact on the urban environment, but it does mean that um, more um, recreational boaters will have to either, will have to wait for the bridge to rise um, before they can pass. So these are all some of the variables we're thinking about right now. And in the coming months, um, we're gonna, we're gonna develop those alternatives. Um, and we're first gonna establish the footprints of these three corridors, which would basically be the largest possible area or envelope that a bridge might, um, kind of the biggest size bridge that we think we would build, which would be the 70 foot high one would need. So we'd establish those footprints of the three corridors that we were looking at on land and on water. We're gonna look at the pros and cons of these different design variables and develop an evaluation criteria to then look at the many different possible alternative crossings and then narrow it down for the PID to, um, like I said, probably six alternatives total and one or two in each of the three corridors that we'd look at as kind of the most realistic, um, uh, but not the final design, but kind of the most realistic with what we know now. And then at that point, once we have those alternatives, we'll be looking at um, evaluating the engineering and environmental needs um, of each of these alternatives in detail, you know, preparing the environmental um, information that we need, looking at all the permits that would be needed. Through this process, we'll be continuing to meet with the advisory committees and stakeholders and regulatory agencies. And, um, and then also we will be continuing to solicit community input, working closely with Oakland and um, uh, doing that through in-person and virtual events and, and online survey, surveys as well. And with that, um, conclude my presentation and I'm happy to take any questions. Great, thank you, Rochelle. And so given that this is an informational agenda item um, and for discussion, I'll just go ahead and open it up to my fellow commissioners if they have any clarifying questions or even comments to make. Go ahead, Commissioner Johnson. Thank you, Vice Chair. Um, thank you for that presentation. That was um, really informative. Um, a couple of my notes, uh, I was looking at the um, technical advisory committee list. 
and I'm, I'm pretty sure you're collaborating with Oak Dot, our people with the city of Oakland. Um, how much input do they have in this process? In other words, do they have veto process? Is it something that all the stakeholders, whether it's BART, I mean, I know BART is gonna do a West Oakland BART station area plan. I know their A's are talking about Howard Terminal. I'm trying to see how all these pieces fit in the puzzle in terms of figuring out what, you know, making this all happen. Uh, yeah, thank you. That's a good question. Um, at this point, I think we all feel like um, we have to have consensus with Oakland to have a project move forward because if they don't agree to the project and it's half of it is in their city, then we don't really have a project. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously they're juggling a lot of different possibilities and projects, Oakland A's still up in the air, um, lots of planning efforts that they have. So they're very much a part of this and very supportive of this bridge project. Um, as everyone knows, they also have a lot on their plate. Yes, they do. And so um, we're trying to minimize their need to, you know, um, attend a lot of meetings and kind of, but really call them in at, at strategic and key points and keep them informed along the way, but also definitely very much like as we start to at decision points, in, including them. Go ahead, Commissioner. I think he had, oh, he had a question. Oh, Commissioner Whitesey, go ahead. Sorry about that. Mostly just curiosity. Uh, what is the lowest height of it, any of the existing bridges? I believe it's 20 feet. So 20 feet. Off the water. Off the water. So 20 feet is serving a certain number of boats that go under it because they're short enough, but it's really just the concern is sail, taller sailboats that have to have that clearance of up to 70 feet. Yeah, and most of the marinas are on the other opposite yeah, right. side of where the um, the bridges are, so they don't have to deal with those low bridges let's right talk, now. Let's talk boating demographics for a second. So, uh, how many sailboats actually reach that height? Because I, I, your your points are good about the taller you get, the more difficult this project gets, and it's great to please every sailboat owner in the estuary, I guess. But do we have a sense of how many boats actually rise to that seventy foot? Are we are we ticking off 5% of boat owners? Are we ticking off 50% of boat owners? If we pick a lower height, like what's, is that data that you guys have? Um, it's certainly data that we are um, gathering. Um, we have a, a, a count that we did in 2017 for one week of the number of boats that were crossing through the estuary and um, looked at the heights of those. And then recently we did a cert, we um, collected data from one of the largest marinas in Alameda and asked for data on their um, number of boats and the height of those boats. Uh -huh. And from that preliminary data, what we're seeing is that most sailboats are in the 50 to 60 foot mm -hmm. height. We've also heard from sailboat owners that sailboats are just getting taller, kind of like what the Coast Guard tells us, their ships are just getting bigger. So um, uh, yeah, so, I, so what we're looking at is, yeah, for each height, what percentage of, of boats based on those counts that we have could, could get through. And it's about um, over 95% when you're at 70 feet and it's more like, um, let's see, I wanna say at 40 feet, it's more like 45% of the boats on the date based on the data we have now. I will say that this project will be required um, through the Coast Guard to do what's called a waterways study in the next phase. 
And that will be very, very detailed. And we'll look at this in even more detail, but we also know like we kind of need some of that information now. So we're looking at also collecting more data on that. Cool, great, thank you. Thank you, Rochelle, for the presentation. I think I remember the 2009 study when it started. So I'm glad to see how far it's come. At least it's uh, solid. It looks like it's moving forward. So um, yeah, very pleased about that. Um, some you know various uh, points I have in my notes. So one is that uh, in terms of uh, the bridge, the type of bridge, the from the figure, what I you know gather is it's kind of a rising bridge um okay so a you have a bridge a lift bridge but you is it like a opening type so um at 600 feet width a span which uh -huh. is what the coast guard has said at this point is their navigational requirement that requires a lift bridge you could not do a mm. bascule bridge okay um that the kind of maximum that you would have for a bascule bridge would be about 400 feet wide. So we are also thinking that that might be one of our alternatives is because we, and in talking to the Coast Guard, you know, they are, I think, open to hearing other ideas for, you know, shrinking that, but we need to kind of show them the why and the how and the where and all of that, and then we can have discussions. So. But if we can squeeze the span down to 400 feet, then we can move to a bascule bridge, which is um, a cheaper type of bridge to own and operate. Uh, the reason I'm asking is, you know, thinking about the Bayform Bridge, it is a cantilever on one side, and uh, and it opens on only one side. You know, it's supposed to be kind of the vascular, half vascular person mm -hmm. type, right? So if you um, apply that approach, um, the concept, you know, you can cantilever on both ends and then you know have a opening in the middle. So right. just a mm -hmm. thought. Yeah. Um, so and in terms of operating, our next point is um, that people are the organization to operate. Um, how many bridges are with county and um, how many in the existing ones? And who, um, I know the tubes are with Caltrans and uh, the Bayform Bridge must be Caltrans. I don't know. But I believe it's, so it's owned by Caltrans, but they contract with the county to operate and maintain. Okay. That bridge is what I believe. And then the other three bridges, the High Street, um, Fruitvale and, and Park Street are all um, operated by the county as well. So have you approached the county? Um, they're on our TAC, they're attending, okay. um, and that's one of the meetings we'll be, we're going to be setting up to talk to them about that idea. We, we okay. I mean, I don't want to jinx it, but we, we don't think they want more bridges to yeah, take on. I think they course. generally, <laughs> the consensus is they're not that excited about dealing with the ones they have now. So. Okay. But yeah, that's a, it's something we'll definitely pursue. Okay, okay. I mean, it'll make sense that, you know, have the same the yeah. uniform. Mark and it's also possible that even if Caltrans owned the bridge, that they would then contract with the county to operate it because they might not want to operate it themselves. Yeah, okay. And uh, so in terms of the solution that we are trying to address or the issue we are trying to address is um, clearly in the bike bed um, in bridge and uh, it is real critical need and there is absolutely no question about it. Uh, but have we ever thought about, um, because you yourself mentioned that this is deficient and um, you know 
the, the connection at the Western end is um, really poor and very limited, constrained. Um, and in that sense, and um, with the expansion within the, in the future um, perspective, have you ever thought about, um, you know, also adding uh, for, I don't want to say auto, but I think I have to, um, for auto and transit um, option as well? So um, really, we kind of, I think, have looked at those two separately over the past 15 years. Um, it's, um, we feel like an auto bridge is a is not a is not going to go anywhere because no neighborhood on the Oakland side or the Alameda side wants a new bridge landing um, out. At Oakland wants less Alameda traffic on their roads, and um, you know no Alameda neighborhood is going to welcome a new bridge off ramp into their neighborhood. So we are not looking at um, auto bridges. Um, we did look at the 2009 study. Did look at transit options, and one of those would be to build a new tube for, for transit buses. And so in the 2021 study, we did cost that out. And that was about um, 10 times more expensive. Um, is that right? The right denominator, <laughs> hundred times? It was um, uh, in the billions of dollars to build a new transit tube, which could have a bike pedestrian pathway next to it and could be like just for electric transit vehicles, um, but um, but the, the cost was really prohibitive on that. I understand. I just mm -hmm. wanted to ask. Um, and uh, the other question is, who are the consultants for the PID? Um, we are working with HNTB, and then we also have for support for the city and, and also for um, additional help on this we have Arab also so two consultants okay and thank you finally one minor correction per se um, in the county plans list uh, you have um, Alameda CTC CIP capital improvement plan uh, and there is no real capital improvement plan per se there it's either capital improvement program or it's a comprehensive investment plan oh, just okay. a minor okay okay yeah thank you Commissioner Thank Colstrand, you. and then we'll go back to White Sea. Okay. Thank you. Um, first, I want to commend you for getting this project into so many adopted plans. That's amazing <laughs> that you've been able to do that. Um, I want to say that I'm cautiously supportive of this because as we have discussed at the Transportation Commission, before it's a very costly project. Um, I think the strategy, although I, you know, I, I'm a little worried about get, getting Caltrans involved, but <laughs> on the one hand, on the other hand, if you're getting it into some sort of state highway or bikeway plan, you may enhance your opportunities for getting this funded. So it seemed from that perspective, it seems like a good strategy. If you could get Alameda CTC to take on the environmental and Caltrans to own the facility, that would probably be a really good strategy. Yeah. Um, I, I, 
would like to just recommend one minor clarification on the purpose and need, mostly because it caught me off guard when I read it. And mm -hmm. then when I read further, I realized what you were talking about. But under the purpose and need on item four, you say provide a zero cost estuary costing crossing. I think you mean a what you mean is a zero user cost. Yes. So yeah. I think yep. that would be a good clarification yeah, because right. it's pretty expensive. Yes. Um, okay. And then just from the perspective of Alameda, the easternmost crossing does not seem to really provide the connections that Alameda residents would need to for multi the multimodal connections. I mean, it's very re, it's much more remote, and for bicyclists that may not be so bad. But for people that are trying to walk over and to get into downtown Oakland, it requires quite a bit more of a distance to get into the transit locations and or the center of downtown or into Jack London Square. So. Um, I don't know if Oakland's really pushing that um, as an alternative. I, I wonder if there's any chance of narrowing those alternatives before it even goes into the environmental because it will be cheaper to deal with. Can I just clarify when you say the Eastern ones, you mean the ones that are I around go, Estuary Park? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Estuary Park and that kind of lands around the shipways development in yeah. Alameda is yeah. where that is. Um, uh, that one, um, actually had been promoted initially a lot by the city of Oakland, I think because it's they are doing some planning now for that park and they're actually starting to wrap up the planning mm -hmm. to improve that park. And it, you know, it's wide open space right. and it's public land. And so no easements or property acquisition would be needed. So um, it's a little more complicated on the Alameda side. It kind of might impact some marinas on the Alameda side. Um, so that's why we've left it in. Um, and it is, on the one hand, it's further east, um, uh, but it's also um, quite close up Oak Street to get to um, uh, Lake Merritt Bart. So even though mm. you're not going into downtown, you are at least connecting pretty directly um, to the Bart, the Lake Merritt Bart station and, and also Laney College there. Uh -huh. And also it's very close to the connection of future bridge and path that the city of Oakland has plans for to connect into Lake Merritt because that's where the channel, very close to where oh, the yeah. channel comes. Yeah. So, so there are some benefits, but we also, I mean, I think, you know, we'll, we're like as Caltrans has very clearly reminded us, we cannot pick an alternative, a preferred alternative right now. Right. But we are definitely hearing a lot of support for the most Western alignment, and um, it makes the most sense in our um, it, it in our we've to have have a tool that was developed in 2021 for looking at rider estimated usage, like um, for walking and biking that has the highest usage. Um, that eastern one? the western one the western, the western one, one. Yeah, and so yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of interest in the western one it's it's also um pretty constrained but you know we were meeting today with Wita and looking at where their ferry terminal is and could we move the ferry terminal and so um we're we're we are trying to focus a lot of effort on understanding how it could work on the western end because we do see that as probably one of the more ideal options yeah. Okay. 
Um, I think that concludes my questions. Thank you. Commissioner Whitesey. Uh, I have a question, but first, everything she said is correct. The Eastern idea is a terrible idea and we should not do it, but we'll, we'll, we'll probably vote on that later. It's let's not do that. Um, my question was pretty quick, actually. Uh, so, or I guess not even a question, just a statement or a, an improvement. The draft project purposes, I guess there's not really an explicit statement that part of this bridge would reduce pre peak pressure on the on the Posey and Webster tubes. Like you talk about reduced car trips in general, which I think is fine. I don't know that there's necessarily a lot of pressure on those tubes a lot of the time, but definitely I think everyone in Alameda has experienced peak backups on Sundays during the antiques fair, peak backups during the commute times. And I think that tying it back to the tubes and actual car traffic is useful as part of your purpose because there's a lot of people that, that are going to care about that, but don't necessarily care about the pedestrian or bike aspect of it, but if it reduces those trips. So I think that that seems like a pretty, pretty solid addition as well. Thank you. Made a note of that. Yeah. Go ahead, Commissioner Johnson. I, you know, a question, and I mean, I don't, you know, I've, um, I know that there's, you know, the, the, my fellow commissioners talked about height of the bridge. Um, we talk about if this were to happen, construction could be 2030. So this is going to go beyond our lifetimes because that's 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 the goal. So when when my fellow commissioners talk about the height of the boats getting bigger. Um, are we looking for the, you know, towards the vision of, you know, will this bridge service people 100 years from now? And then also, I, I was reminded that um, this, there's early, early talk of taking down the I-980. I'm pretty sure people know about the history of freeways and destroying communities. Um, they want to reconnect West Oakland to downtown Oakland. So when you think about that, um, I did community work in Chinatown years ago, and they called it, when you come out of the tube, they called it the toilet bowl. Because when you come out of the tube, it causes circular motion to get on the freeway and it causes pollution. So the community activists in Chinatown is like, we don't, we don't want the toilet bowl effect. So I'm thinking in terms of, as we look 100 years from now, in terms of, like my fellow commissioners say, if the boats are getting bigger, if I-980 is going to be taken down, if you go to, to the Connect Oakland website, they talk about that. I mean, they're in the early, early conversations about this, sort of thinking about how this bridge, if it's going to happen, service people 100 years from now and beyond that. So just kind of thinking about that and thank my commissioners for reminding me of the boat. I think that's a that was an interesting um, thought. So that's just yeah. my yeah my my blab. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, I think especially thinking about 980 coming down, that means there's going to be more traffic probably on 880. So mm -hmm. if this bridge could help reduce that traffic on 880, that also would be helpful. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, I um thank you, commissioners. I, I did want to add um a few thoughts here. And um, I think other folks have sort of alluded to this. And thank you, um, Rochelle, for that great presentation. I know a lot of work to date has, has um, taken shape and a lot of different stakeholders and partners involved. I think no doubt this project is really important. Um, as you've shown, it's critical for both not only Alameda and Oakland, but also for the region. I love how you frame this as a regional project, a transportation project. And I think that's really 
um, hugely important. And I um, wholeheartedly agree that this is the best, most effective solution for um, needing to create more crossings across the estuary to connect Oakland and Alameda to address all of the goals and objectives that the city has around not only transportation, but around equity, um, meeting the CARP and climate goals, um, our active transportation plan, our, our mobility element within the general plan, all these things, um, the bridge will hopefully get us there or get us towards those goals. So I just wanted to um, reemphasize and support the um, this as a vision for the city, the region, the county um, here. Um, I think um, this is ultimately like a project, like in terms of trade-offs, like there's a lot of, you know, whose who's, um, needs and demands are going to prevail here. I think there's a lot of different stakeholders um, with a lot of different um, needs at the table. I think the Coast Guard has made their needs clear. Um, we also have the boating community. Uh, we also have the needs of regular Alamedans who just need to get to and from work, school, um, just get over into Oakland. I live in Alameda Landing. I can go to the waterfront and I can see Jack London and you can almost like want to, you just want to throw a rock over there. You can like, I don't know. I It's so close yet so far away. And it is so freaking frustrating to be that close yet so far away and have to go through the tube to get over there. I would love for there to be a way to get over there. And this bridge is just, um, for me, it just has to happen. It just really has to happen. And again, this is about trade-offs. Um, I read, I mean, I see in the staff report that in the, what is this? This study that came out in 2021, the estuary crossing study, although it is, I, although I think it's technically, it was determined to, to be technically feasible, the 600 foot span between the piers that can be raised 175 feet from an engineering and geotechnical perspective. Um, I have a question on whether or not this is actually the best option, although it is technically feasible. I do think that, I know that in the PID, we're not choosing alignment or determining final design at this point, which I understand we're not putting the cart before the horse, but I still think it is hugely um, important to continue to question assumptions and to investigate and interrogate alternative analyses um, and to evaluate cost implications because the $200 million price tag and the $3.5 million annual cost is directly associated with the design of the bridge. And so we have to interrogate that because I think the $200 million price tag, which we just know invariably is going to go up. That's just baseline. That's, there's, on, is, there's only up in terms of that cost is really going to be hinged on the design. And so the design is really important. And I think that uh, we really have to um, investigate and interrogate what, even if it's technically feasible, is it the best option for all parties involved? Um, and so I just <laughs> wanted to close um, 
it's going to be a lot closer for them and they could actually walk as opposed to trying to go upper Broadway or over into the Grand Lake area. Um, so I think as you build an economic case for this as well, that's something that uh, would be worth emphasizing. Thanks. Can I just- uh, Yeah, go ahead on to commissioner. it. Yeah, in terms of building the economic case. So mm -hmm. um, just, I know you are thinking of um, Alameda CTC funding at this point uh, for the, or, or uh, you know, the implementation by Alameda CTC and all that, but, you know, making the case to get the funding, I'm having worked on grant, grant application from Concord side and we have been successful. Um, and I can tell you, uh, it's, it's how you really present it, not just within Alameda, again, the regional perspective, you have, you are already on the path, but uh, like uh, Commissioner White, I said, uh, you know, it's like what it would remove, you know, it will address in terms of the reducing, um, you know, auto trip. And uh, I think uh, the, the 260 is a deficient uh, segment in terms of, uh, you know, the CMP, I remember. So, I mean, there are so many ways it will help, right? So, so start building the case, but, you know, it, it should be more at the higher level. Uh, look at it, the sub-regional and regional level and how it connects and how it will be attractive for, um, you know, Oakland uh, businesses and, and facilitate better mobility. And, and also, you know, think about uh, some applying some of the newer technologies um, in, in facilitating that, uh, you know, bike bed or active transportation uh, movement. Um, yeah, building the big picture and then presenting to Alameda CTC may be a little more attractive for them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And but don't lose um, heart in you know you said that it may <laughs> die, it may have to die or something like that in your presentation. In but you know Alameda City can pull it off in terms of it's just the operation you want somebody else. But you know um, until uh, the building it, uh, you can do it. So thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Um, we should go to public comment if we have commenters. We do. Um, people on Zoom can raise their hands. Uh, so far, we have four people who want to make public comment. We'll start with an in-person person is um, Bennett Schatz. What's up, everybody? Very excited to be here. This is a, an extremely exciting project. Uh, I live on the west end of Alameda and I ride my bike through the tube a lot. It's a very harrowing experience. I was a bike messenger in San Francisco for a number of years. I've ridden tens of thousands of miles on, on state highways around this country, and biking through the tube is one of the most harrowing experiences I've ever done on a bike, but it's so much shorter that I do it almost on a weekly basis. Um, I do have ideas for improvements right now. Often the scariest thing is potential collisions because it's four feet wide and you have people going in both directions maybe like a big button that indicates direction of travel on both sides where there's lights that say, hey, somebody's coming this way. Obviously not everybody will use it, but that's one idea I had. But yeah, I just wanna say this is super important, super critical. I think talking about economic uh, drivers, if you think about like small scale bike mobility, e-bikes, cargo bikes, delivering things. If something, something like Uber Eats in New York, they use e-bikes to take everything. If you think about connecting like Chinatown, downtown Oakland, the Webster Street Business District, it's great. Yeah, I just want to like 
as a resident who lives here and uses this regularly, this is super critical. The time scale kind of breaks my heart because I feel like I will die biking through the tube before this gets built. <laughs> but also I'm not a boat owner, boat owner, so I can't speak to that. Maybe I'll own a boat before the tube gets finished. Probably not, but uh, yeah, just this is a super critical project. And I think that it would do a ton to connect us and like, as somebody, I drive through the tube if I'm with my partner because she's not insane and I'm insane, but if there was a bike pedestrian bridge, our car traffic would probably cut down by 90%. So that's that. Next, we have Cindy Johnson uh, via Zoom. Good evening, commissioners and staff. I really enjoyed this presentation and I'm so appreciative of all the work that's led up to it. Cross estuary access has been such a huge issue for us for so long. It really feels good to start getting clarity around a possible path forward, especially in light of all the planned growth in Alameda and particularly the West End. Over the nearly 15 years since the first cross estuary study back in 2009, a lot of work has been done evaluating and studying all the possible solutions to improve access, ruling out ideas that are infeasible one by one, like car bridges, gondolas, and tubes. And it feels like we're finally honing in on a short list of options now. This bridge being the only new non-transit infrastructure solution that's still in play. It's cl clearly not without significant challenges and there are many questions to answer still, but it holds a lot of promise and it's very exciting that we're fo focusing in on it like this. If it comes to be, it will benefit existing and future residents and visitors in so many ways, even those who will never use it. It will not only address a longstanding and inequitable deficiency in our transportation network and improve overall regional mobility, it will enrich our lives, stimulate the local economy within our communities, enhance our re resiliency, and do this all in a way that's essentially pollution and carbon free, which is an increasingly urgent imperative. This bridge really seems like infrastructure that meets the moment and will serve us well in the future. I hope we get to see it become a reality. Thank you. And Jim Stralo. Good day, good evening. I do not like revisionist history. In tonight's executive summary for this agenda item, the published information is wrong. In 2009, there was a list of bike priorities presented to the city council. The number one project for which the 2009 Alameda City Council voted was water taxis, not a bike bridge. Water taxis were the most affordable, reasonable project presented. Tonight's executive summary must be changed Otherwise, you are publishing false information to the public agencies involved. What is the status of the 2009 number one priority water taxi program? In 2009, there was also a discussion of a drop-in-place prefabricated bike pedestrian tunnel. That also has not been recently discussed. What are the current monthly numbers of bike uh, walk across High Street? Miller Sweeney, Park Street, Bridges, and the two tunnels. When was that last study? What are those numbers? The preposterous projection of daily 10,000 bike ped tri trips is pie in the sky. I have also presented many times that the city of Alameda should ask AC Transit for free, free fare to ride the bus only between Atlantic Avenue, Ralph Episado to 8th Street, Oakland to replace the free shuttle that existed for about seven years ago. Uh, Oakland is busy with its Broadway Jackson. Oh, it's now renamed the Oakland Alameda Access Project 
that redesigns a lot of Oakland's areas that are now in discuss in discussion. Uh, it will create two one-way paths for bikes and pedestrians through the tunnels. Why is that not being discussed? Thank you. And we have Stephanie Bradshaw. Hi, good evening to all of you. Um, my name is Stephanie Bradshaw and I live at the Bay 37 community that was referenced earlier by our presenter, Rochelle. Uh, thank you for letting me express my opinions and my thoughts. Um, just very quickly, a couple of things. Um, when Rochelle presented, she referred to the Bay 37 community as the Bay 37 apartments. It is critical that I clarify um, this community is not an, a community of apartments. These are single family homes, townhomes, and condominiums. And given that the presentation has indicated this may be one of the best places for the bridge that's being discussed, I hope that some of the, stake home, uh, the stakeholders on the committee will include the residents in this Bay 37 community because it will absolutely impact our property. It will impact our privacy, our parking. Um, it, it will impact many things about it. And given that we have approximately 350 residences here, um, our collective voice needs to be heard. So uh, that's the first issue. Um, this, the second thing I'd like to raise is that We've, we've heard about this being a zero cost for, for users. Um, folks in Alameda already pay for free transportation um, for, for the folks in our community. And as part of those property taxes, um, if we're going to talk about a bridge, that's absolutely critical um, to, to help folks get over uh, into Oakland, then I'm gonna push that we read kind of revisit um, those property tax payments for the, the transportation we already pay for. Um, and I did not catch the name of the uh, individual that talked before me, but I do um, share many of his views. What is the demand for this? And what is it that we're trying to solve for? Because I can appreciate a map that shows me um, how far people can go if they have electric bikes. They can go all the way out to Danville or San Ramon. Is that a realistic hypothetical? Is that really what we're interested in discussing? Because when I bought my place here in Bay 37, we were talking about a ferry that would go from here to there. We were talking about a water taxi. Um, we were not talking about an expensive bridge um, that might take 50 people uh, across from one end to the other. So I would really encourage us. Thank, thank you. Before we get too far into this, that we understand. All right. Now we have uh, Christian Deach. Hi there, my name is Christian Deitch. I'm a West End Alameda resident. I'd like to thank everybody uh, for participating in this call and uh, I wanna recognize all the uh, hard work that's gone into this and difficult choices and team priorities. 
I'm a strong supporter of a bridge like this. I think it's important for us to create a project that is a legacy for generations to come. A couple of things I just want to mention. Uh, first of all, this is climate infrastructure. We live in uh, what's called a high emission scenario. Just this week, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change came out with a report. Uh, and one of the notes from the report indicates that over the last two years, so in the Zoom era, uh, sea levels have risen by one centimeter. And we're projected that if we stay on a high emission scenario, that is emitting as much carbon we think uh, as, as we're emitting right now for the next 130 years, uh, sea levels could rise 16 feet by 2150. So this is really a question about whether Alameda takes the first step to be the first community to say, enough with the high emissions, we want Alameda to be here in 100 years versus, uh, versus sink under the bay waters. And then the second thing I'd like to uh, just reflect, you know, we're worried about cost, but just today out of Congress, they passed the Sarah Debbing Klingenkamp Active Transportation Safety Act of 2023. Uh, and one of the things about this legislation is it honors the memory of a cyclist who was killed in the Washington DC area. And what it does is it aims to unlock highway safety improvement program funding for projects that connect two pieces of safe cycling infrastructure. So like all of us on this call, I'm concerned about cost, like all of us on this call and in the meeting, I'm concerned about how long this project will take. But I think that this Langenkamp uh, Active Transportation Safety Act is really a harbinger of the things that will come as we're going to see a lot more federal funding for amazing projects like this. Thank you again so much. Joyce Mercado. Yes, thank you. I really appreciate the presentation tonight and all the work that's been done to this point on the bridge. And I wanted to voice my opinion that I support it strongly. The um, Intergovernmental International Panel on uh, Climate Change uh, recently issued a report and indicated that we really need to reduce emissions by 50% by 2030 and get it down to zero by 2050 to limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius to avoid the most severe impacts of climate change. And um, a pedestrian and um, bicycle bridge would go uh, a long ways towards uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions in this region by reducing car trips. So I wanted to express my strong support for the bridge. Thank you. And our last speaker is Denise Tr Trepanier. Hi, thank you, Transportation Commissioners. For hi, thanks for the opportunity to speak with you tonight. I'm the board president for Bikewalk Alameda, and obviously we are ex extremely excited about this project. Um, this has been a long-term goal of ours for the last 15 or 20 years, so we're, we're thrilled to hear the progress that's been made. Um, I just wanted to make a couple of points. First of all, um, in 2009, we did do a study that um, identified both the short-term improvements to crossing the estuary, the mid-term improvements that could be done, and the long-term improvements. And one of the speakers was correct that the estuary uh, water shuttle or water taxi was identified um, as the best solution in the mid-term, um, but the bridge was identified as the best long-term solution. Um, and so we are actually moving forward with both of those initiatives right now. In fact, I think an RFP was just issued recently for um, looking for ferry operators. Um, 
So that's that's definitely in the works as well. Um, and I also wanted to point out that the city has a great, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, page up right now with a lot of links to all of the work that's been done that's gotten us to this point, um, including the traffic demand studies. There's been a lot of questioning tonight about whether or not the, uh, you know, it's worth it because it is an it is an expensive bridge, but it's really not um, expensive when you compare it to comparable projects. Um, for cars, it's it's actually a tiny fraction of the money that we spend on car infrastructures in the state um, every year. So if this is the mode that we want to um, support and move people towards, it has to be the mode that we fund um, and that we fund on equal footing with our car infrastructure. So anyway, I just wanted to point out that the traffic demand studies have been done, I think it was at like 45 to 50,000 trips per week over the bike and ped bridge. Um, was was the result of that study. So a lot of the work, a lot of the questions um, that were asked tonight have already been answered. And the city has a great page that I suggest people go check out because it has links to where all this information is. Thanks. Thank you. Yes, that was all the speakers. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, unless there's other questions or comments, I will close out this agenda item 6C and we can bring back in Chair Souls. We can move on to agenda item 6D. All right, we're going to move on to agenda item 6D. Um, this evening, we're going to discuss and provide comments on the transportation projects to be included in the capital budget for fiscal years 23 and 24. And Robert's with us this evening to give us a presentation. Uh, thank you, Chair Souls and Transportation Commissioners. I'm Robert Vance, I'm the Deputy Public Works Director, and I'm here to talk to you about our process for the, um, the next two-year capital budget. Um, so I'd like to give an overview of our, our capital budget, um, talk about um, some of the projects that we have, um, transportation projects that we have uh, planned uh, to allocate funding for the capital budget, and then uh, address some of the ongoing projects that we have that we're not requesting new funds for. Um, we, we, are, we are kicking off this um, two-year budget. It is part of our, our regular budget cycle. Um, that includes kind of two two main parts. One is the, our city's operating budget, uh, which funds ongoing operations, staffing, everything that it takes for to, to run the city. And then the second part, which comes at the same time, is the capital um, budget. And those are interrelated because they do use some of the same funds. So there's a lot of coordination that happens um, between those. Um, and I guess the just for information, the difference between um, an operating, the operating budget and the capital budget is, um, <clears throat> I like to use the example of uh, traffic signals where the operating budget pays for our maintenance staff, the electricity to run traffic signals, um, to fix things when they get broken. And the capital budget is for improvements, replacing equipment and making those long-term investments. So um, I'll go through a little bit of that tonight. Next slide, please. 
Um, this is just um, some of the key dates and, and the process that we're in right now. We, um, we started in February and the, one of the first steps is for finance to provide uh, the fund balances. So all those um, different funding sources that um, fund uh, the operating and the capital budget. Um, and then also soliciting from the departments, um, their projects um, and the estimated costs for those projects. Uh, where we're at here in March is developing that draft um, budget, kind of marrying up those funding sources with the, with the projects and, 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 and considering our operating needs as well. Um, there was recently a department had budget retreat to kind of um, talk through um, and um, just uh, internally uh, what the budget uh, goals are gonna be. And we're here tonight uh, with you and the commissioners. Our next steps are to uh, start refining that budget and um, we develop every two years a capital budget book that has a lot more information about infrastructure in the city. Um, we do uh, one page um, information about each project that we're funding, um, talk about the sources and, and what the outcome will be. So um, that's what we'll be doing coming up. We'll, um, provide all this information to city council and for their workshops in May. And those are public workshops to discuss uh, budget items. Um, we also go to the, the planning board um, because the, the capital budget has to conform with the general plan. And then um, at the end of May, we'll be uh, finalizing those budget items, um, publishing our booklet and presenting the final budget for adoption to city council in June. Um, the, the new uh, um, budget goes into effect on July 1st, 2023. Uh, this slide just shows kind of looking back at the, the, the current capital budget that we're in. So um, just wanted to mention that transportation related projects at that time were about 50% of the budget. If you um, include all of our kind of uh, maintenance rehabilitation projects, which is that pavement lighting, urban forest category, and the transportation system enhancement. So those are the more of the grant funded one-time projects um, really is a big part of our budget. So that's why uh, we wanted to present this information to you today. Right, uh, so now I'll talk about some of the, the transportation projects that we're um, including in the draft capital budget. And uh, just, just this overview slide is kind of shows the relationship between um, the transportation planning and then and then in the budget. So, you know, starting with the general plan, the mobility element, it identified specific goals for equity, safety, choices, and sustainability. And then those relate to our more specific plans, uh, the transportation choices plan, active transportation plan, and the vision zero action plan. Um, and those plans um, laid out a bunch of uh, um, capital plans and also metrics for um, kind of measuring how, you know, the impact of, of transportation projects. So those are filtering down then into our specific transportation work plan, which was presented as part of the um, annual report on transportation. And then the, the capital budget is basically funding that transportation work plan for the capital projects. So that's how it all kind of fits together. Um, this is just a, a map of an overview of, this is what was included in the transportation capital projects work program. 
So it laid out a lot of different um, projects um, for starting construction and ones that are in the, the planning pipeline. So th those are the ones that we're trying to um, make sure we have adequate, adequate funding for. Uh, next slide, please. So we're, we're, it all kind of comes out and I just wanna give a, a kind of a quick overview of what some of these projects are. And then we can get to the discussion if you have further questions um, or if there's things that you think we should be emphasizing more or emphasizing less. Um, I'd, I'd love to love to get your feedback on that. So uh, the first group of projects are, are kind of uh, maintenance and rehabilitation type projects. Um, we have our pavement management. That's our annual paving program. So we're wrapping up um, our, our current project right now, which was in the west side of Alameda. So uh, uh, Grand Street to the west. Um, the next project will be um, east of Grand Street and then up to and including uh, High Street. So kind of so that's central Alameda. And then year, the second year would be um, east of High Street and Bay Farm Island. And um, I wanted to mention too, the, a lot of these projects are kind of um, uh, assessment based. So we have a, um, a program that we go through every two years that um, looks at all the streets, um, uh, looks at the, the pavement condition and then gives us um, kind of you know, uh, cost to kind of maintain that pavement condition. So that helps us filter through what and choose uh, the paving projects. Um, a couple other highlights. Um, the um, the uh, signs, pavement markings and, and curb painting. So that, that's been an ongoing program. Um, the last three years, we've been um, focusing on intersections and re-striping um, at intersections uh, for faded um, markings. Um, now that that backlog's kind of gone through, we have an opportunity to look at some other areas. So some of the, the longer lines um, and, um, you know, refurbishing center lines, um, you know, between intersections uh, and uh, maintaining bike lanes. So one of the projects that we're um, planning right now is um, to restripe the uh, main street, which has been really faded, um, but in the uh, bike lanes, uh, I think about three years ago now and they're faded. So um, refreshing striping, that's, that's just one example. Uh, traffic signals and systems. So like I mentioned, that's um, you know, replacing infrastructure, making it more reliable. Um, um, one thing we're doing is uh, installing like battery backup systems to make the signals operate even when the power goes out for a few hours. So it gives our staff time to react for power to be restored. Um, keep intersections operating safely. The uh, park uh, pathway repair and replacement, um, that's an ongoing program too. So right now that's um, just replacing pathways in uh, city parks. We, in the future, we'd like to identify paths that are outside of city parks that are on city owned land. Um, so we wanna go through a prioritization process, planning those and, and uh, making sure that we're uh, keeping up the maintenance on our paved trails um, that can be used for transportation, not just circulation within the parks. Um, ongoing sidewalk program replaces uh, uh, city sidewalks that are damaged by trees um, and removes trip hazards. So that's a really important program. Um, same thing with our street park and parking lot lighting. So that's uh, upgrading our all the street lights. Um, and one of the focus areas has been replacing underground conduit, underground conduit uh, which also is aged and um, 
uh, you know, when it's when that's broken, it can cause problems with the lights and um, um, make uh, you know additional repairs. So we want to get that in um, in good shape as well. And then finally, I mentioned um, urban forest and landscape maintenance. It's not really a transportation program. It does use some transportation funding. So the goal there is actually to move that out into a more an operating budget. So it has a sustainable uh, funding sources. And um, so we're keeping main maintenance of, of our street trees, the landscape areas, uh, bioswales, um, all throughout the city. So those are sort of our maintenance projects. Um, the next group of projects are transportation and uh, system enhancement projects. Um, so some of these are one-time projects, others are, are ongoing. So the, the street safety, um, that's a program that we've been using for daylighting, um, the, the tier one and tier two high injury corridors. That has been completed. So the next phase would be um, daylighting on the tier three, and then also providing a, a rapid response um, infrastructure uh, where there's fatalities in Alameda. Um, the Safe Routes to School infrastructure project builds upon the school safety assessments that the city's been partnering with um, Alameda County on and um, making sure that we have uh, funds available to make those um, improvements, physical improvements around the schools. And that also looks at opportunities to, um, you know, make those improvements with in, in coordination with some of our corridor safety um, projects as well. Uh, transit stop enhancements, that is a, uh, a new, um, new project um, using some of our uh, uh, measure BB paratransit funds that were um, earmarked for, for infrastructure, because we've also heard from this commission the need to improve um, bus stop amenities and, um, and uh, just make uh, bus stops more, um, more enticing to use. Um, the last four projects uh, have been presented at the Transportation Commission. Um, Gail Payne is here tonight, um, is the project manager for all of these. So uh, the Central Avenue Safety Improvements Project um, um, for this budget would include um, two new grants that the city has received. Uh, one is um, would be funding for uh, um, a roundabout at uh, 4th and Central. And another is a EPA green infrastructure grant. So it would be um, putting those funds into that project and providing that local match. Um, the Clement Avenue Safety Improvement Project um, has construction funding, um, but because of uh, cost increases over the last two years, we're anticipating needing additional funding. Um, if it's not needed, that funding, you know, again, it's measure BB, it can be used for other types of projects. If, um, and we will be, you know, learning what that, what the final cost would be for that project when we go to bid um, uh, this year. And then lastly, um, our projects that are in the design phase, uh, Clement Avenue and Tilden Way Complete Street Project and the Lincoln Marshall Safety Improvement Projects. And both of those have recently come to the Transportation Commission. Uh, lastly, I just want to address some of the ongoing projects that we have. So there's the, um, the Alameda Point Adaptive Reuse Backbone Infrastructure. Um, so in addition to you know, bringing in new water service and uh, joint utilities, um, to Alameda Point. Um, this is rebuilding Pan Am, uh, portions of Pan Am, Tower, Saratoga, and Midway. Um, and that is uh, currently in construction. Um, 
second is the, the Gene Sweeney Open Space Connector. So that's a, um, a project that's in design and, and slated for construction, which would connect uh, Gene Sweeney, the uh, Cross Alameda Trail within Gene Sweeney to the surrounding neighborhoods and business park. Um, next is the, the Cross Alameda Trail intersections improvements. So those are uh, five signalized intersections um, that would have um, signalized intersection improvements to make it um, safer and separate out um, turning traffic from the through movements on the Cross Alameda Trail. And then the last is the Grand Street resurfacing, a safety improvements project that's from Shoreline to Encinal. So those um, has been in a design phase. We're still working through those final details, um, but that is uh, scheduled for construction in, in the 2023 to 2024 timeframe. Um, so again, um, the next steps are to, to get your feedback here tonight, um, prepare for the budget workshops in May, and then uh, seek final passage for the budget in June. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for the presentation. And this is a discussion item. So um, we're going to go ahead and take any kind of clarifying comments. Robert, if you want to sit down, we can call you back up if there's any clarifications. Okay. But we're going to do clarifications and discussion. Um, among the commissioners first, and then we'll go to public comment. And uh, per the staff report, the discussion can include um, any kind of comments that you have, as well as any kind of recommendations for revisions to it, or you cannot comment at all. Uh, those are the options. So, Commissioner Whitesey. So as I read it, the estuary water shuttle pilot appears to be part of the capital project work program. I am sure that staff, much like the commission, is tired of staff being accused of not working on this project and not trying to implement this project and not trying to push this project forward. So perhaps once and for all, we could have staff talk about where that project is at, if it's funded, if where we're at on funding, possible implementation dates, and then maybe we can kill those questions for a couple of meetings. So I'd love an update on that. Hi, Commissioner Waitsey, happy to respond to that. Um, yes, we are actively working on the water shuttle project. Um, we applied for a grant um, last year, last June. Um, unfortunately, we're still waiting to hear back on that and we should hear by May. And that would be to fund about 25% of the costs for a two-year water shuttle pilot project between um, the foot of Fifth Street where there's a new dock and, um, and Jack London Square, and also um, going over to Marina Village. Um, this rest of the funding, 75%, would come from private um, business associations and the TMA and others, and including on the Oakland side, including from Jack London Square. Um, so we're waiting to hear on that, um, but there is a lot of enthusiasm for having a water shuttle. And so we are also simultaneously right now working on a possible summer three month water shuttle pilot of a pilot or a pop project as we call it. <laughs> so that would be running from about mid-June, perhaps as early as mid-June through like mid-September, just three months to really um, try to work through some of the um, issues that come up, kind of kind of see how it could work, how it would operate, what sort of um, what changes we might want to make if we do the full two-year pilot. So um, we are waiting to see if that is 
feasible to do, if we'll have enough funding, we're working with the same partnership of business organizations and the TMA and um, hoping to see that, um, you know, have, have more clarity on that next month. Um, I think one of, for the previous item, one of the um, people who made public comment talked about an RFP that's out. That is actually, WIDA has done an RFP. They released it last week for um, boat operators who are interested in one or the other of either um, or both of operating um, in an emergency. They'd like to have an on-call list of operators and know what the costs would be and their capacities are for emergencies. And then also an on-call list for uh, water shuttles like this or water taxis. And so we're waiting to see the results of those next month to see what those costs are that they get back to see and then compare that to the funding that um, we can pull together through this partnership and then from there, see if it can work out. But um, we're, we're um, hopeful and optimistic. Thanks. Thank you for the very detailed update. Appreciate it. Thanks, Rochelle. Commissioner Whitesey, did you have other comments? I do not. Okay. Other comments? Commissioner Colstrand. Thank you. I had uh, three comments, questions. Um, one uh, for Robert. For I've been waiting patiently for the um, East End to come up for the pavement management, and I see that you know most all of the pavement management um, projects are are uh, south side of Central. That the Fernside and the area up off of Tilden Way and Marina have all been kind of overlooked, and I know there are a lot of potholes that have developed in um, my neighborhood, like on Thompson and Fairview over the last year, just like there are potholes everywhere <laughs> from all of these storms. And I wonder, I, I mean, I know you use this pavement index, uh, but can you explain, is there gonna be any pothole fillings or anything up in the Fernside area? Because there are a lot of them. Uh, thanks for the question. Um, so, uh, just regular pothole repair—that's a maintenance function. Okay. So that's so, something that our, you know, our, you know, public works maintenance would do pothole filling. And do is it based on um, complaints? By uh, I, I know they yeah. are responsive to so like the C click fix, but I I think they also do that proactively. But I could find okay. out more about how they you know go about filling potholes. The so, pavement management has more to do with like resurfacing entire streets. So your assessment was that the um, the, the condition of the streets south of Central were much worse at this time. That they really didn't need to be resurfaced up in the Fernside area? Well, the, the Fernside area does include the area between Tilden and High Street. Um, so that, I don't know if it shows up on the map, but it's, that is part of the, of the project. Um, well, there, yeah, the broad, what is it, Broadway and, uh, and Versailles are, but like none of the east-west streets or anything. So whereas there's this whole concentration just south of Central between uh, Versailles and High Street, I noticed. Um, well, we can definitely take another look at that. And um, 
I'm hoping to get more, you know, as we go through our design process to get a better, you know, get more information out about what those streets are and, and what we're going to do on each one. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing like, complaints in the neighborhood. I think it came up at the Fernside Neighborhood Association that it took uh, several calls and complaints to get a pothole filled on Thompson. So uh, I think people are concerned about it. So that was one. Um, two, I guess the the Reckon Park um, repaving isn't on here. Is the the Harbor Bay pedestrian walkway is that under Reckon Parks or who has jurisdiction over that? Because we we keep bringing it up, and I know I think it was Gail that said or somebody was saying that there was some evaluation going on about it, but it seems in desperate need of repaving. Yeah, and so um, part of the work we're doing right now um, with Michelle too is to take that inventory to find out. Okay. That's actually information that we need to determine is exactly who owns what everywhere. Some of those may be intertwined with agreements with homeowners associations in the past. So that's some of the research that we need to do before we um, you know, expand that program and know yeah, exactly I, where we're gonna. I think that should be a high priority for the city. Um, having used that path and it gets a lot of use. Um, there are people out there all the time and for bicyclists, I mean, it's bad enough for pedestrians, but for bicyclists, it's really bad. And as uh, Commissioner Suthanthera noted the other day that it's uh, a great way for middle schoolers to get to Lincoln Middle School uh, and they should have a better ride than they do right now if they're trying to use that path. Um, and then the third item, um, and this is, I think Gail responded to this last time it came up, but the, um, there's a program to replace the bus benches. <laughs> and I think you were gonna, re have you already done the inventory for that, of where the bus benches would be? Because I, I would like to advocate for at the same time you look where the benches should be, look at further into the future of where the, the shelters would be best placed. So you're doing one inventory and considering both items at once. And I know you're not necessarily funding the shelters right now, but you're trying to get some benches in at the high use areas. But I still think if you're doing an inventory one time, it would be good to look at both of those issues. Yes. and. We, in, at the May meeting, we have Trey Hanala, the climate fellow who's leading it, coming to you all and explaining the analysis. And uh, it's, it's really the analysis that we've done is available for the next phase of, of funding that we have to improve bus stops. So it, it can be done. And tomorrow, uh, actually, coincidentally, we're meeting with Park Street, um, the Downtown Area Business Association, and because that's really where the highest use bus stops are that are lacking a bench or a bus shelter. Or other amenities. So you're kind of looking at the amenities that are there and what could be put in. And that we're okay. having that, we're going to have that discussion with okay, them tomorrow. And we've already had that discussion with AC Transit to see how they would like us to proceed. So we're, we're going and going through and asking our stakeholders what what everyone wants and okay, um, however this next phase is only 25 benches and so we get it we're, we're 
we're getting the the analysis done. It's just it's a phased approach. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. And I think uh, I just want to say one more time that having a consistent approach towards um, shelters and other amenities throughout the city would be great. Yes, and again, I think what I tried to convey last time, we have limited monies. And so it, it is a shelter is a lot more expensive and only a third of our bus stops have a place to sit. And so this is an ADA issue. And so that is our highest priority is we need to get people to be able to physically wait at a bus stop. And, and if only a third of our bus stops have a place to sit, that is a problem. And so that is that is my fundamental issue with a shelter that is like $20,000, whereas a, a, a bench is, is maybe uh, uh, like $500. So, so we're kind of at the bare basics here. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I just wanna compare, if we're looking at, 200 million, which is the bare bones cost for a bridge over the estuary for pedestrians and bicyclists. We, what I'm trying to say is we need to think into the future about making sure once we get beyond those basic needs, as you've described, that we are continuing to look at ways to enhance the experience for transit riders as well as bicycle and pedestrian. And, and that's why we're here. And, and yeah. that's why we have the Climate Fellow focusing on it. Yeah. That was when, yeah. when I heard it, I, we could have Climate Fellow time. Come on down to the, your, your bus benches. Yeah. So that was yeah. great. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, yeah. great. Thank you. Thanks. Anything else, Commissioner? No. Thank you for carrying the water on the Bay Farm, <laughs> our Bay Farm uh, bike path, because I know that Commissioner's in there. Maybe it's just my old lady hip speaking, but it really needs help. <laughs> so um, thank you for that comment. Other comments on, go ahead, Commissioner Sucinthia. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Chair. And uh, thank you, uh, Commissioner Polstron, for the point on the Bay Farm Bridge, uh, you know, the, the, the wooden bridge for walking and biking. I'm not going to talk about that, actually. Um, because enough times I've said, and many people have been telling, and uh, I hope uh, it uh, gets attention. Um, just looking at the the map um, in the staff report, actually, which shows just one improvement in Bay Farm side, and I want to totally believe that for the next two years, nothing else is needed. So um, I understand it is a you know trade off and priorities, but um, I really. Um, not sure whether I mean it's it's only the Earhart um, school um, or safe route to school in project is the only one for the next two years, Robert. So Rochelle just reminded me that the um, the map that's shown is a one year work plan. Okay. So we're, I mean, the, the budget is for two years, so we'll have, a, you know, more projects coming in other areas in the future. Um, but we did, uh, Earhart School was one of the schools that's already been assessed. And we do have, um, uh, I believe there were some improvements, infrastructure improvements for Earhart um, identified as well. So 
does it include the sidewalk that gets to the school from, you know, right across from the um, golf course area, the, the sidewalk along the Earhart School is really bad. It's, uh, um, and so that again, you know, it's, it's not only getting to the school, but also it's getting to the bridge. So it's not just that uh, the wooden bridge alone, it is that access, that approach to that bridge itself is a problem in many places. And those are within the city uh, jurisdiction. So you may want to check that, so, you know, yeah, I thought for the work plan, I mentioned it, I raised this comment. Absolutely. And um, so there, there was a separate project um, for the uh, Bay Farm Island adaptation. And so part, you know, that's not really a transportation project per se, but that is looking at that area, which includes that wooden bridge and uh, options for, um, you know, that um, area around uh, Veterans Port and the northern waterfront there. So that would include the, the, the wooden bridge and options for that, because that all has to fit in together to whatever project comes out of that effort for design, so. So how long are we um, talking about for the, the adaptation project to materialize? Well, that's, a, that's about a three-year project, but I mean, like you said, there are other, you know, things that are within the city's jurisdiction that are more maintenance-related upgrades and access to there, so. Um, I mean, I, I agree with you that, you know, we, we can start working on the things that are within our control. And that's why we want to do this trail planning process and identify where those, um, you know, where improvements can be made in the short term. Yeah, I would appreciate, you know, adding the component of uh, the sidewalk improvement for the kids to get to the school. Uh, it's not too far out, but it's, you know, it's along the boundary of the Earhart School on Island Drive. So I would like you guys to check it out um, because I, I mentioned it during the active transportation plan adoption. And uh, I don't think that got attention. So. Yeah, thank you for clarifying. So the sidewalk you're talking about is along Island Drive, just yeah. to clarify. Okay, I wasn't sure. Okay. But close yeah. to the bridge. Yep. I'll yep. Okay, yeah, so we, we think that's probably one of the highest maintenance need locations for trail maintenance. And so um, as you know, we're doing this inventory, we will also have funds to start making improvements. And so we're gonna try to like quickly get those, start to get those improvements made. And, um, you know, just kind of more anecdotally, I think that's probably one of the highest maintenance needs locations. So hopefully we'll get to that one quickly and also be looking at if there's any immediate things we can do on the wooden bridge to try to make that a little easier to cross, to smooth it out a little bit um, in the near term. And then lastly, I, I actually had set up to say that, so that Air, um, the ARPD also is responsible for some of the trails along the waterfront. And so that segment just to the, um, uh, just to the, the kind of, I guess, Southwest or kind of of, of the where the wooden bridge is, is the next segment they're gonna be working on. I believe it, they, in the next six months that they're gonna be repaving and improving that area. So that's coming up very soon. Okay, Th thank you. I mean, that's the only access the Bay Farm kids that get to Lincoln have, and I don't need to emphasize that. So, you know, yeah. Yeah, and I actually, I, yeah, when you were mentioning that, I was just out in that area doing some traffic observations for the, the, the signals there. And 
I noticed like um, some of the students would use the paved, the concrete part, and some would need to use the asphalt. You know, so it seemed like they knew their way. Yeah. <laughs> to avoid the uh, deteriorated area, so that's uh, you know not ideal. So. Commissioner Susan, there, if I could clarify, because I'm not sure which boundaries you were talking about, but I was specifically talking about the the asphalt path that's between McCartney and the bridge. I understand the wooden bridge is a longer project, and that's that that is a really <laughs> it's hard, but they do it every day and they get used to it, I suppose. But the the path and the roots and everything else, I think it is a maintenance rehab type project, but it's all the way from McCartney through. Um, and they do right on the sidewalks and create some pedestrian conflicts. We have gotten some school comments about that as well. Did you have other comments? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Okay. Others? All right. Um, I, I don't have any specifically. I think that um, I just appreciate slide six because I knew that we've talked about it. And so I feel like these when we get these budgets coming to us now, having everything embedded in the plans and all the work that's been done over the last five years has really made this a lot more clear as far as which projects are being prioritized for the budget. So I just wanted to thank you for this current work and the alignment with those plans, but all the, the blood, sweat and tears with um, getting everything incorporated into those plans and the, the criteria and everything else we did. So thank you very much for that and a, a nice presentation. Um, I'm going to open it up to public comment now. Lisa, if you could tell me if we have any hands raised. We have no speaker slips in person and no hands raised on Zoom. We can give a few seconds for anybody who's interested in speaking to raise their hands. Still no hands raised. Okay. All right. Thank you for your um, comments, commissioners. We're going to move on to item seven, which is now commission communications. So if you have any announcements, any questions for staff, anything that you may like to um, discuss in the future, now would be the time to communicate that. Public announcements, everything else is on the table as well. Do we have any? All right. We're running late, so I just have three really quick ones. Um, one, the 18th of March was Transit Driver Appreciation Day. And so if you didn't know that, because it can be obscure, but you're a transit rider, um, <laughs> say thanks to your, your BART or your AC Transit or ferry operator because they, uh, they've got some unsung heroes out there. Um, also, April 4th through 11th is Distracted Driving Awareness. So it's a good time to have conversations with family and friends that may not have the best behavioral habits and make your pledge to drive only. And then lastly, on April 25th is Get On Board Day, which is a day that is celebrated to um, build awareness and advocacy about taking public transit and how important that is to our communities and our economy. So encourage your folks to give, give something else a try other than their car on, the, on April 25th if you wanna celebrate. Our next meeting is May 24th. And so if there are no other um, communications will close out agenda item seven and I'll take a motion to adjourn under item eight. Motion to adjourn. I second. Thank you, Vice Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Whitesey. We'll uh, not, we'll just say a quick, uh, all in favor say aye. Aye. Sorry. Aye. Sorry. Wonderful. Thank you. You guys have a good evening. <laughs>